Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hey, and welcome back to another edition of Knights of Nitro, that occasional podcast from your friends here at Days of Thunder on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, powered by a largemanappears.com. I'm your host, as always, Dave Ryan, and I am joined by my channel hopping buddy, Lee Malone. Lee, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, looking forward to the night show. Really, really am. Um, I've had uh, a busy week. Well, being not busy, which is one that was odd kind of uh, weird things to explain where you've had nothing on, but you've just been doing stuff all week. Yeah, I found that like uh, in the past, time fills itself like you can feels like a really existential thing to say, but like you <laughs> kind of uh, you, you kind of you'll clear off time so that you have plenty of it and then shit just gets in the way. You know? Yeah, man, it's just been like, I've been home all week, but yeah, I feel like I've been doing shit all the time. It's it's weird. I think I I blame having children. I mean, they're, yeah. they're the, the problem behind all, yeah, all of my yeah. life. <laughs> I mean, I don't have that excuse. Like, unless you count my dog. Uh, I mean, I, look, they, I they take up a lot of time as well. Yeah, um, I, I think like some people say, isn't it like the curse of humanity to be burdened with knowing that you will, they will die? But I think the real curse of humanity is that weird kind of uh, break in in physics that time you are spending in work or time that you are busy with things you don't want to do goes slower than you could possibly fathom. And leisure time, boom, just yeah, gone. gone. Yeah. I also feel like I was more productive in work doing stuff that I wanted to do than actually working. Yeah, yeah. I find that some like I've done the odd podcast edit in work. Mm. I've done the odd note compiling in work. I've I've never watched a show for this podcast in work because I can't no, get a long enough stretch of time. Mm. I like to watch the show unbroken where possible unless you know we've had the odd thunder that that nearly kills me stone dead so I I can't do it then. Um, I need to take breaks. But uh, it, on the whole, I prefer to not take breaks once I start. And I can't guarantee that in work. Like, someone's always fucking looking for me. Uh, <laughs> I, 
answer some. The, the burden of being good at things. <laughs> the burden of going, yeah, I'll I'll take I'll take the, the job of being in charge. Oh, what's that? People actually need me for stuff? Oh I might have preferred where I was, to be honest. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I do. I I have that thing. I I definitely I am much more plugged into doing my fantasy football when I'm when I'm in work and stuff like that. Whereas at home, if I have a week off, I always forget to do my fantasy football. Come here, uh, two weeks in, I forgot, so I'm done. Yeah. I'll yeah, always I'm, make a team, but I'll never follow up on it. I'm in a predictions league as well, and there's fierce pressure with that because Friday every week, then I have to try and remember my fantasy team, and then predict the scores for all ten. Premier League games. Oh, it's a good league though. It's one of those that like um, you get a x amount of points for a win, but the closer you are to the accurate scoreline, the more points you get. Oh, okay. And then your goal difference over the season, like how far you are, you were off the the real goal tally for the season, uh, comes into play as well. Um, it is made by bigger maths nerds than me, bigger Excel nerds than me. Um, Jack Lazell is one of the those Excel nerds that makes that league. But um, can you tell how drained we are of having to watch five hours of TV this week <laughs> that we're just like <laughs> casually dancing around? Maybe one of the more packed shows we're going to do this year. Talking about dread and time and yeah, but but on a brighter note, I really enjoyed both of these shows. Yeah, you know, like, maybe I'll I'll look back fonder on it in review, but I don't remember actively going, I'm really enjoying this Nitro. But in hindsight, now that you've said that, I think that's a three-hour show that I watched in one sitting. And like I said, I try not to take breaks, but I end up usually having to, like, pause and go for a walk or something during a Nitro. I, I so long. I thought it was a real stuff happens show. Mm. And I mean, being that it's 1999, there was very little problematic stuff across both shows, which I was really happy with. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's only one segment that I can recall writing. um, And it was a raw segment Mm. where I was like, oh, that's a, and it was the crowd that were being extremely dodgy. Yes. And you know the exact one I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Yeah. But that's like 1999 crowds, everyone. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, come here. Both these crowds, apart from, like you said, that, that moment. Um, I thought both crowds were fucking incredible. And this, do you know, this is something I was going to get back to that, like, I, I'm really, really enjoying the shows we dip back to with the hot crowds because, like, something that I think we've been lacking a little in 2023 is is genuinely hot crowds. I think, well, we've just seen a dynamite Grand Slam that had a proper hot crowd. Mm-hmm. But, like, in terms of week-to-week TV, like, I don't watch WWE, but every time I tune into a segment, like, you can tell half the heat is piped in. Yeah, every, everything's Even, so in, inorganic in WWE now. Yeah, like, the, the quote-unquote heat that Dom gets, for example, like, so preposterously turned up and sweetened. Mm-hmm. Um... And then, like, Dynamite has been on a run of crowds that are a bit lackluster. And same with, with Collision. Uh, those would be the shows I actually do watch. Um, so, yeah, I think going into two shows with extremely hot crowds really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, um, what was the experience though of watching? Like you said, the um, you enjoyed both shows. Was it kind of a um, was it were were they were they easy watches? Yeah, I thought they were. I think because I remember this era of Raw so well, everything kind of clicked in my brain. I was like, oh yeah, this happens and um. Like SummerSlam '99 is a, a show I had on VHS that I probably watched a dozen times. So, like all this build is ingrained in my memory. Yeah. And um, was it yeah, an I, out I of think body experience for you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think that the fact that there was like I think I said to you, great doing it. Like <laughs> in the DMs, I go, I was like, oh fuck, 1999 Raw. There's going to be a ton of problematic stuff going on. And I really think the fact that there was so little kind of like lifted my mood. And yeah. I even, I, fin- I finished Raw and watched like, I watched like maybe 40 minutes of Nitro straight after. Yeah. And then I hit the rest of Nitro then the following day. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I, I really, I, I did, I enjoy both shows. You, you did the reverse of what I did where when I, when I do these we've had a couple of these crossover to WWF shows um, and I will always watch the WCW show first because even though I think bell to bell the WWF shows have genu- generally been worse they have much more of a kinetic pace to them mm-hmm. that I find that even when they're bad they're easier to get through and I'm wondering is that the magic of Vince Russo uh, in 1990 not now but in 1999 WWF when we've watched before that like he was as terrible in certain respect in certain areas as he ever was when he got to WCW but the pacing of Raw was so much quicker that like nothing stayed on screen long enough for you to think about it no every like it was literally go 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 another thing that struck me was the fact that like everything in WWF was so interconnected like there had to be like maybe no more than 20 people on the show that that was um something i definitely thought about a lot it's like the, the actual cast of that show was so small like i think undertaker appeared in half the segments for example like we saw i think it was three rock entrances yeah um undertaker appeared a good handful of times big show big show obviously with undertaker um Xbox was in three different segments. Uh, Billy Gunn. Uh, Billy Gunn, yeah. In, like, it recurred it, a couple of times. Road Dog was in, even Road Dog was in a couple of segments. Like, so that's what, like, he did a lot with yeah. such a small crew. Which you, you don't think of 1999 WWF having a small crew, but I mean, week to week. Yeah. Maybe they did. Like, I maybe, guess, like, I, I guess you don't. Uh, maybe it's a looking back in hindsight now, where there's four hundred people on the roster, mm. um, and like maybe one of the lessons from the Attitude Era, like for all the trying to ape the Attitude Era over and over again, they have maybe one thing that they didn't take forward that they should have is that like you should really concentrate your flagship show on a small number of people, get them over real good because i guess like one of the lessons that they that they were learning at the time was hey people really like the rock we should give them <laughs> lots of the rock well because see, as long as the rock is like 
It's the Poochie thing. Like when when the Rock isn't on the screen, people should be asking, "Where is the Rock?" Well, it, it's funny because in '97 and '98, that was absolutely Steve Austin, hmm. and it was amazing to me to see that in '99. Because again, I don't remember thinking that at the time. I was only thirteen. Yeah. Um, that they absolutely replaced Steve Austin with the Rock as that guy that was in every segment that everyone yeah. was going, "The Rock is on my hit list." It was it was it was Austin and Vince was that like from Austin's kind of like crowning on through like the start of ninety nine and by the summer of ninety nine, you're right, they've been supplanted. Like Vince is off TV at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's the Rock and Triple H because it's it's also the summer of Triple H. Um that's that, that, remember when Triple H was good. We'll, we'll talk. I think we'll talk about it when we get to that segment in the in the show. Yeah. But uh, yeah, do you want to? Since we're talking so much WWF, do you want to start with Raw? Right. Yeah. Let's let's start with Raw. Um, and I guess there is a very distinct reason we picked this Raw uh, to do a Nights of Nitro. This is a very important Monday night for a couple of reasons. One on each show, um, and we're going to get into why Raw very quickly. But I'll just uh, mention this is Raw Edition 324. This is from the Allstate Arena in Chicago, Illinois. Um, This is on the 9th of August, 1999. Now, what I'm going to do is do a little bit of a cheat and tell you that the rating for Nitro. Now, bear in mind, Nitro, it's not like it's an irreversible decline where Nitro never won again after the 83 weeks. That's something we talked about recently that I'd like to definitely dispel. Mm-hmm. So I think that is the kind of head canon of a lot of people that just listen to like Bischoff and people like that. That like once the streak was over they never and won again. Bischoff was out yeah. of power, they never won again. But that wasn't true. That was not true. Um, so I'm going to tell you that Nitro did a 3.1 rating. Okay. okay? And now I want you to tell me what you think Raw did if you haven't looked it up already. If Nitro did a 3.1 I wouldn't be surprised if Raw did around 4.2, 4.3. Well, you will be surprised because Raw did a 6.4. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. This, uh, this was a fucking whomping. <laughs> like more than double holy shit that is like an extraordinary I, I didn't think it was still that high of a viewership number in yeah. like mid 99 yeah like I thought both had come down kind of to like five, like maybe a high of a five even but like fucking hell now yeah. I wonder did people were people tuning in for the millennium countdown so here's the thing uh, this is why we're here on Raw. As you said, the cold open happens and it's the countdown of the millennium clock. One hour, 25 minutes remain. Not even the now, top of the hour. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep into the second hour. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting. Um, I guess they probably have that thing. Like there was a phenomenon like and it was a kind of widely held belief at the time that people did do a little bit of channel hopping at the top of every hour. Mm-hmm. So maybe they thought people are going to hop over to raw anyway. So there's no like, and have a look at what's going on. So there's no point in putting it at the top of the hour. Let's put it at a time where people wouldn't normally switch over and see if we can get people to switch over. 
Yeah. Um, I wonder, is that the, the wisdom here? Now, I'm going to rewind to the summer of 99 in our lives, Lee. Um, so I had just turned 10 years old, which I think, would that have made you around 13? 13. 13. 13. Yeah. Did you know who the Millennium Man was? Yes. In advance? I did. So were you online at that stage? No. <laughs> were you a Power Slam reader at that stage? I was a Power Slam reader. Um, I got into Power Slam very early in, in my life. Yeah. I wasn't getting it every month because, you know, I wasn't rich. <laughs> Yeah, it was like for the time. I remember that that like for a magazine that came out. How often does it come out? Was it monthly? It was monthly. It was monthly. Yeah, it was like when we eventually turned to Euro. I remember it being like a five six euro magazine, which at the time was scandalous. It was. It wasn't cheap. I can tell you that much. No. Um. But no. Again, do you remember Teletext? Was Teletext a thing? As you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the Sky Wrestling Rumors Teletext page. The Sky Wrestling Text. Yeah. Um, that was definitely if you knew enough that was telling you it was Jericho mm-hmm. um, but yeah I, I can't remember how exactly I knew I think it would have been Power Slam that gave it away yeah. um, but I absolutely knew it was Jericho um, I've talked about this before I would go to a friend of mine's house on a Friday night we would channel hop between TNT and Sky Sports and watch um Raw and Nitro, again, yeah. for any of our American listeners who may not be aware of this, we would not get Monday Night Raw or WCW Nitro until Friday nights. Yeah. At the uh, peak of the Monday Night Wars. It was not on live. Yeah. You couldn't record it. It was Friday nights, 9 o'clock. Um, TNT would come on after... Not uh, What was it? The, the Children's Cartoon Channel? Network. Cartoon, Cartoon Network. Network. It would That's turn at 9 o'clock. Yeah, to TNT. Um, yeah. First thing on on a Friday would be Nitro, and simultaneously Raw would be on Sky Sports. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting because... Um, so, and also I will say that, that that broadcast of Raw stayed almost right up until... So they would start airing it live in the mid-2000s, as well as keeping mm-hmm. that Friday slot, because it was such habitual viewing for people. But it became a Friday night at 10pm, uh, shortly after the invasion finished. Mm. Because that was when I was like in two th- late 2001, early 2002, I started staying in my granny's on a Friday night and they had Sky Sports and I would then watch uh, Raw for the first time. Like I'd watch it on, I'd watch it on tapes, but I'd watch it for the first time live as live got in mm-hmm. the, the UK and Ireland back then. But yeah, you would do Nitro would be on a Friday. And then if I'm not wrong for a long time, thunder was the saturday and then towards like 2000 they would do them back to back on the same night on tnt oh, i can't again by that era i wasn't seeing much wcw yeah. um, it was they would do nitro and then the night after they would do thunder mm. but then because obviously it's the end of the week they would just air them back to back um yeah. towards the end of the like i think it was it was around the time of the, the 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 Miss Hancock wedding Nitro that TNT stopped airing over here. Okay, and that was the end of WCW for me. Well, cha- Channel Five it, picked up, yeah, which I didn't have or, or worldwide, I, whatever it was they yeah. had. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was for me as like I said, just turned ten. I didn't know. So the last. 
the last time I was ever surprised by a jump between the two companies was DDP. Okay. Because it was for my birthday. I think I, I told the story before that DDP, we watched DDP come out on Raw the morning of my birthday. Uh, and as a huge DDP fan, lost it. <laughs> um, never thought in a million years he'd be the stalker, I'll tell you that. But anyway, um, I think it was literally for that birthday I got a Power Slam subscription from my cousin. Ah, okay. So, like, after that, I was more clued in. Um, So that was the last one that surprised me. But yeah, Jericho. And it's funny because, like, we watched this show open. And immediately, like like you said, people were in the know because there are, is a, the first sign you see on Nitro. They tried to cut away from it so quickly, mm-hmm. but it's the Millennium Man Chris Jericho sign you would then see later shown on. for much yeah. longer later. Um, and it's just funny that even in 1999, for all the kind of like shit we give fans back then, there was a lot more of them that were clued in than you'd necessarily have given credit for. Well, I mean, there's, there, look, you can shit on them all you want. There's a and reason that that Russo <laughs> believed uh, everyone was an internet fan. He was just yeah. 20 years ahead of the business, basically. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. not to give him credit because he's a piece of fucking shit, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, so on the signs, that was the, like the first thing I noticed that was like absolutely incredible. The amount of signs. Mm-hmm. Not even that there were signs, but just the amount of them. Because, like, I've never been a... Like, I think we've all been the guy at a live wrestling show who just is stuck behind a sign and miserable about it. But it's a real sign of wrestling's popularity when there are that many people who are willing to put the time into yeah. making some of these signs. Well, like, see, that's People fucking cared. Because going to, to the show was an event of itself. And you wanted to have, like... Everyone has, like, a funny chant now. Or they sing yeah. along to a song. Back then, it was you put up your sign. That was your way of being part of the show, and it was your emotional connection, wasn't it? Because like mm-hmm. some of these people, again, like some of the signs are obviously just like someone just took a giant sheet of card and wrote on it with marker. But some of them are so fucking elaborate that like you're like that's somebody that cared so much about Billy Gunn, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that they 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 took several hours to design a sign for them or do a bit, you know, um, and like you know. Now, like you say, as much as sometimes the the chants, there's the odd chant that's funny, or there's the odd, like the the escalating video game bit signs that mm-hmm. were happening in AEW for a long time. I think they might still be, but I just still have lost yeah, track yeah. of them. Yeah, like the odd time those ones laugh at me, like it, or make me laugh, laugh at me. Uh, that they make me laugh. I, it is a completely different vibe now it's more like i i don't want to say it's exclusively fans trying to get themselves over now but it's it feels a lot less genuine in terms of the actual connection to mm. the people actually, actually since you're mentioning the video game but being that that that's a botchamania thing yeah did, did you see the tweet i put a couple of weeks last week the week before uh connor has decided he wants botchamania merch for christmas <laughs> he's made a matthew's made a fan yeah, oh yeah, he's big into Matthew. That's great. I actually, I because um, my WWE watching fell off, so did a lot of my Botchamania watching. Mm. Um, and then I like just recently, I think it might have been around the time you were talking about Connor that you told me mm. a while ago. Connor was watching it, and when we were at Wembley, 
I saw all the people with the Taz signs, oh, the Taz and signs, we were talking yeah. about it at, yeah. at Wembley. I was like, I need to, I need to catch up with Botchamania, and I, I have been watching loads of them lately. And yes, the the Taz bits the, are the Taz bits are fucking killer. He loves the Taz bits. Oh, like they're, he, they're I so good. I think some of the jokes go over his head, but he just does be fucking, yeah. like fucking wetting himself laughing. Because the thing is, like, I I pop so much for a lot of the Taz lines on live TV, but then I I clearly must miss a load of them as well because I don't remember half of these ones. But anyway, <laughs> did you actually la- la- last night on uh, Dynamite? Did you notice Excalibur and Shivani giving uh, Taz a load of shit on yeah. during the outbreak for yeah, calling yeah. Moxley wacky? Yes, yes. <laughs> That was like, I used to, I was a very early adopter of somebody who would watch Dark like it was a podcast. Yeah. Because I just wanted to hear um, Taz doing bits <laughs> with with Tony and Excalibur. But anyway, look, let's let, let's move on and, and talk about some, uh, some Raw here. Uh, so yeah, the amount of signs uh, really got me. And then first up, again, it's a thing that like, I think AEW do very well now where if they have somebody that they know as pops quarter hours that's who's first out on the show mm-hmm. there is no coincidence that orange cassidy opens so many dynamites yeah um but the rock comes out straight away in a fabulously gaudy shirt <laughs> um we learned the context that he was attacked on heat Sunday night heat because this is when they were tr- still trying to make Sunday heat like it was an A show. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did angles that uh, on it that would play into Raw and this one had The Rock being attacked by show and The Undertaker. It's so funny because I'd say about six months from now none of those three men would be caught fucking dead on Sunday night heat. No, unless it was the Sunday night heat before a pay-per-view. Remember they did them as yeah. the like, one-hour countdowns? Yeah, they do them as the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, they do like the dark matches on it and stuff, or like one during one of the many periods where Big Show was being punished. <laughs> Quite possible. Like what, it's not what? too long after. Like it's what is it early two thousands? Yeah, it's like early two thousand when he gets sent down for being too fat to develop. It's af- right after WrestleMania. Yes, after there's a McMahon in every corner, and he does the uh, the parody gimmick. Now he yeah, comes back Shokishi. as the show showster Shokishi. Yeah, all that. Um, what what did you think of the camera shot after after the Rock is in the ring, and they go backstage and take her and show a Roy Acarilla? They do some interesting camera stuff. I and really like, like that. There's some really like I I actually had written that in my notes where um I it's been so long since Raw has done interesting things with camera work. Mm-hmm. And these weren't things that, like, I was watching at the time. Like, they were doing these kind of things full time. And there was a couple of things like this. Like, there was an honest-to-God conversation between two men uh, later on in this show where they were standing opposite each other, not in that weird semi-facing-the-camera-talking-to-each-other mm-hmm. sort of way. And I was so put off by it because I'm so <laughs> used to people standing like wrestlers having a conversation. But, yeah, there was this, like, so he's cutting his promo and it cuts backstage to... um taker and show looking through the curtain and show like goes to walk up the steps yeah yeah thought it was interesting and again really like, there's also some sh- some shots of the backstage area where people are coming down the stairs to go out which was like just not a regular thing yeah again like later on before the main event you see show coming down the stairs and you see the sign dressing rooms one and two up pointing up and i was like that's like it's it's good like I, stuff like that you don't get that anymore um, 
Yeah, very unusual. Um, what did so, you think of... So, it's pretty basic rock promo. There wasn't to it, really, was uh, there? Well, um, so he, he does his Well, It's the Big Slow, and he does one of my favorite demeaning rock impressions, which is him doing the impression of Big Show doing the choke slam pose. Mm-hmm. The, uh, yeah, uh, all-timer rock. Uh, especially, it's one of the ones that uh, doesn't age like milk. Uh, yeah, like well, the amount true. of, like the surprise, the surprising amount of times that he does offensive Asian stereotypes that I had completely suppressed for or a the, long, long time. Or the amount of shit that him and Austin would pull on uh, Lillian. Yes, or the things he would describe Kevin Kelly as being. Yes. Uh, yes. Um,. I, one thing I will say about The Rock that is a very fair criticism of his promos. The promos were much more engaging and much more electrifying, for want of a better term, during his initial run than his kind of cringy uh, comeback run against Cena. But something that has been leveled at him in the past is he was a man who cut promos that got The Rock over exclusively to the detriment of the person he was cutting the promo against. Mm -hmm. And the truly great wrestling promos are somebody that raises all ships. Because if you, again, and it's a very fair thing, if you completely decimate and discredit the person you're cutting a promo against that you're building the match with, who have you beaten? Mm -hmm. And he was definitely doing, like, this was a big show who, now again, given... The impression Big Show's making in Stamford, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these lines were fed to The Rock, but it's not something he was just doing against The Big Show. No, you know? he did it. Like, he did it everybody. His thing was to belittle people. That's that's what The Rock was all about. And, and it kind of works as a heel because then you kind of you discredit, stay stone cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he you get your comeuppance. Yeah. He kicks your ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like this was Babyface The Rock. So like if if Babyface Rock is telling you that these guys are dog shit. Hey, the good guy's telling us this guy's dog shit. He must be dog shit. Um, and I feel like that's kind of like sealing Big Show's fate here to a certain extent because he goes, all the Rock's fans see Big Show come out and say, I got to take a leak. This guy sucks. <laughs> Which, yeah, like, not, not great. Yeah, because, like, you can see, you can do the thing where you're, t- like, he's a big guy, so he's slow and he's stupid. You know, you're doing the, Arr! just like the, Shane would later do the which way did he go and stuff. But there's ways you can play those tropes of the giant. And then, like, Big Show outsmarts you and wins the match, you know. Um, but this was, like, this is just, <laughs> he it buried feel- him and Big Show didn't get his win back. It feels like. We saw for like five years straight, everyone just take the piss out of the big show. Yeah. Like Nash, Hall, Hogan. (laughs) It's kind of incredible with like, and even continuing on past this, with very, very small gaps where he was booked okay, or one particular stretch with Paul Heyman where he was. I was just going to say, up until the 02 Heyman run. Yeah. Like most of his WWE career, it's incredible that he was as loyal to that company as he was. Because mm-hmm. so often he was a laughing stock. He was the butt of every joke, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying this guy was just like an all time worker or something like that, but just on a basic level of he seemed to be a sound guy 
that got no respect or dignity mm-hmm. for so long. Um, Show and Taker come out and Paul Bearer is with them. Um, I was worrying for a second that this was going to, well, worrying and sort of excited for, was this Raw going to be the driving out to the desert on their motorcycles Raw? But I think that's no, that was a couple happened. of weeks. It was a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, it was in between the last night, the last Raw we covered and this one, sadly. Yeah, that, that's when they formed the Unholy Alliance. Yes. Um, so Rock stands his ground as a babyface. He's not going to bail on the two guys, but they beat him down. Then Xbox comes in, which which apparently for everybody, this is return. He had had a suspected concussion, and he's back now. Um, he's out. Then I wrote, Road Dog is out for some reason, because I guess, like, the the DX men are still loosely affiliated, even though Billy Gunn, Triple H, and China are all off doing their thing. Yeah, so Triple H left the night after WrestleMania. Him and China were in the corporation. Then Billy left sometime around, I want to say, fully loaded. Probably a little bit earlier, maybe. Was it before or after King of the Ring? It was just before, I think, because didn't he beat X-Pac in King of the Ring? And that kind of, I think it would have been right after he won, he fully left and turned heel. Yeah. So King of the Rings, yeah, started the summer, so this is like him, him, uh, X-Pac and Road Dog were like the last two remnants. Yeah. Actually, Um, didn't, didn't they do China and... Billy against Road Dog and X Pac for the DX now. Oh, they might have. I think they did. That does sound familiar, yeah. Um so Road Dog comes out. What's really funny is that in this frantic moment where there's two monsters either side of him, he tries to do the shake rattle and roll, which involves a long period of dancing in between strikes and it allows I can't remember, I think it was Big Show he was doing the shake rattle and roll to it allows him to completely recover and Undertaker was just standing there the whole time and they just beat the shit out of him. And then third time's a charm, the actual backup comes in the form of Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I wrote at the end of this when they finally cleared the heels out of the place is as much as it was a stable that absolutely outstayed its welcome and came back way too many times killed all the nostalgia people had for it the DX music rules oh it's so good it's so good I like I am I, I think I said on this show before I am much more the the, the King of Rock uh, remix guy but mm. Even the original DX music, just that bass line is just yeah. so god goddamn good. You, you can't watch it on a show and not go, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, a limo pulls up. Everyone assumes it's Jesse Ventura because we know he's going to be here tonight on Raw. Door opens. It's not Jesse Ventura. It's pilled up Shawn Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> Straight from the pharmacy. Pupils fucking erupting out of his head as he came out. But Jesus... A fine head of hair on the man, I have to say. He's no Nick Jackson at this point, I'll give him that. Yeah, the the hair had not started to go by a long shot. It was it was luscious, it was voluminous. It was <laughs> as a long hairsman myself, I was very impressed by the, the body it had. Where else are you gonna get Shawn Michaels hair discussion? I tell you, and if it wasn't for the fact that he was fucking zonked out of his brain, the uh the, the the long flowing hair beard look was working for a, an older Shawn Michaels. You know, mm-hmm. I think in 1999, if the man was wrestling, like, you know, uh, it would have been an unbelievable look. 
Um, it's it, like they just sort of about the stubble says this is attitude era heartbreak kid, like, uh, but it was actually just he's uh, out of his fucking gourd heartbreak kid. <laughs> Nobody wanted to give him a razor just in case. Yeah, we get the first of two, count them two commercials for stonecold.com. Did you ever go on any of those superstar pages? No, never. I did. They were awful. I remember noticing them start to pop because it was a while in 2000 where they started putting them in the lower thirds. Yes, they did. Undertaker would come out and it would say Undertaker.com. Mm-hmm. And shit like that never went. What were they like? Ah, just like flashing image like photos and think of like a 90s website. That's what they were. Yeah, would it like auto play uh, like an 8-bit version of, yeah, of their nice song? Tune? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so mad. Yeah, I kind of like that. Um... Yeah, the, the the ads were really cringy. Um, Xbox and Kane backstage reunited and they challenged the Acolytes for the belts tonight. Singles match next. Uh, Christian versus Gangrel. Uh, Christian's oh. music is as bad as Gangrel's is good, I have written. Okay, Dave, let, let's have a discussion. Okay. Who in 2023 decided to... Uh, Renew their career by returning to their brood roots. I, I know what. Are you trying to lead me down a path here? Yeah, I am. You want me to say Edge? Yeah, it's Edge. Okay, yeah. So this is summer of nineteen ninety nine. When did the brood begin? Oh, I don't know. Like late ninety eight. Late ninety eight. They're still together in at Mania. They are. Because they're involved in the worst Hell in a Cell match of all time. They are. But they're broken up by midsummer at the very latest of 1999. Yeah, yeah. It was a very brief period of time and they weren't good. Yes. Apart yet, from the theme song. And yet, you have these fucking idiots <laughs> pining for Brood Edge. Yeah. Brood Edge, Dave. Brood Edge is the funniest thing of all time. I he think. came out as Brood Edge. A character he portrayed for all of six months that was no different to previous Edge or Edge yeah. that followed after. I did the new brood last nearly as long. No, Jesus, no. The new yeah, brood lasted until the No Mercy match. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So what? Three months? The Terry Invitational Tournament. You yes. Mean? Well, I didn't. I didn't yeah. yeah. Um, respect on that woman's name, please. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I just wanted to say, like, here we are in August of 99, and we're getting Christian against Gangrel. Yeah. Fuck all them idiots. Music is great, though, isn't it? Oh, it's so good. Like, it's so, so, it's good. so disproportionately good for how fucking bang average. God bless Gangrel. Also, it was Gangrel's music, Fang- not the fucking broods. Yeah. Fanging and banging. Fangin Love it. <laughs> Man lived literally, I think, the dream of every man who was like a teenager and adult in the 90s. He was a professional wrestler while there was money in that, and then he just went straight into porn. (laughs) And still makes money doing professional wrestling conventions. He might be the most 90s man. Because as well, he had a vampire gimmick when like Buffy was on TV. So like he was, oh, it was so 90s. It was so 90s. He, He married an alternative woman, Luna. Yes. Ah, what a man. I love as well, right? So there's two things about this, uh, about this entrance that rock apart from the music, right? And it's firstly, 
the underrated part of Gangrel's entrance is the Gangrel strut. Oh yeah, the bounce. Gang- Gangrel struts like a man who is not Gangrel. <laughs> he struts like in his head. He think he's hearing the World Wrestling Federation champion, Gangrel. <laughs> Do you not get the impression that that man made it by just getting this far? Oh, look. Do you know, I don't want to say stealing a living because he wasn't terrible in the ring. Like, no, he wasn't. He was fine. Like, he was kind of like, he was part of this mid-card of guys who were just like exceptionally good hands for the time. Like, you know, Val Venus always had that rep where he was just mm-hmm. like, he's an unbelievable hand in the ring, just like never breaking out of a certain level because of his, like his gimmick or whatever else. Uh, and also him being an insane man now. Uh, in Val Venus's case. Um, I feel like that's the, yeah, that's the Gangrel thing. As a guy who watched a lot of him on Metal and Shotgun, <laughs> I thought he was, he was pretty decent Impaler DDT rocks. The other thing I love about his entrance here is that immediately when the bell rings, you can hear fire extinguishers trying to put out the fire on the ramp from his entrance. <laughs> like literally, ding, 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 and you hear the... <laughs> God bless WD- uh, 1999 WWF and their, their high production values. Yeah. Um, you're going to hear a lot of this... Um, on this show because this is kind of the raw formula at the time things happen of varying qualities for 90 seconds on this show this particular 90 seconds in this match was pretty good yeah it was was pretty pretty decent but what happens is a match will happen for 90 seconds and either it will be it'll be one of three things it'll be pretty good it'll be pretty bad or it'll be fucking boring and then the angle happens somebody runs out yeah yeah so this goes for 90 seconds, and it's pretty good. Uh, then the Hardys come out. Uh, what I love about this is, like, you see the level the Hardys are pitched at at this point, because uh, Christian does a plancha to the outside and takes out both of them quite easily in about five seconds, uh, which I found very funny. Um, then uh, he walks back into the ring into, into blood sprayed in his face. Uh, an implant DDT and the win. Then Edge comes out to stop the beatdown. I will say, was it one of the better spears Edge ever hit? Yes, it was. <laughs> it actually now, not, looked not, like... Not quite as good as the spear we'll discuss on Nitro later on. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a good good spear. A good spear. Like, on the Edge scale, it's probably in his top 5 or 10% of spears ever. Like, it actually looked like an impactful move, which mm-hmm. it never does. Um... So he fails to stop the beatdown. And then, of course, who's going to come and, and help? Uh, Michael Hayes comes out to talk sense into the Hardys. Yes, dressed, dressed as the Tord Hardy. If you had forgotten, inexplicably, Michael Hayes managed the Hardys. And like he said, dressed like them. Um, <laughs> and this got the exact... The, the, the Hardys then turn on the former Doc Hendricks. And this is greeted with absolute silence. No one gave a shit and this was a hot attitude era crowd and it was silence um so Dave, I, I, I have a question are you now right. going to be pining for brood uh, uh, brood mahardy oh, in AEW obviously obviously well that's the thing that's why they're bringing edge in i'm sure because you get gangrel in there and you could just have the united brood for the first time the united brood yeah in blood and guts gets the bcc <laughs> 
BCC versus the UB. Oh Book it, Tony. Book it. Do you think there's actually a decent chance that with the exception of Christian, who's obviously still an excellent professional wrestler, number two on your list of people that could still go in 2023, it's a toss-up that it, Gangrel is in with a shout of being number two on that list. Yeah, it's Gangrel or Edge. Yeah. And if Edge's output in AEW is anything like it is in WWE, then that second spot is definitely open <laughs> for competition. <laughs> And I don't think either Hardy brother is getting near it. No, God no. Um, so I I love as well that this uh, is treated with such apathy by the crowd. Um, that gorilla Vince just says, "Just hit the music, end the segment." So <laughs> their music starts playing. That's like the get out of there, get out of there. Um, so they leave. Uh, we go backstage. The acolytes Farouk and Bradshaw accept the challenge. Uh, they call X Pac a Chihuahua. And say that even the Undertaker and the Big Baboon can't beat them. There's not one person who isn't sticking a boot into Big Show on this yeah, program. so many people taking shots at Big Show on this show. <laughs> it's so rough, man. It's so rough. I feel so bad for him. Um, then we get, tremendously entertaining, The Rock's Chef Boyardee commercial. Yes, we did. A fabulous slice of, like, I don't know if you were a WWF magazine purchaser back in no, the day. No, Jesus, never. Uh, when I, again, it was probably, like, our relative ages that, like, when WWF magazine was really easy to get over here, I was the right age for mm-hmm. it. And you could not move for, for the Chef, Chef Boyardee. Boyardee. Yeah. It was Chef Boyardee and the Dare to Be Drink Aware. Or, the, or also there was oh there was the tobacco was wacko if you're a teen ads. Oh Jesus! They uh, those were the three staples. The thing I loved about the WWF magazine is that because it was the decent quality glossy magazine paper, every month had an A4 size pay per view poster for the oh, next month's okay. pay per view. So I had on my wall like a string of all the cool pay-per-view posters from like 99, 2000 and up oh, to 2001. So like including the like, and I loved it. It's one that I'd probably get framed on the wall if I had a proper good high quality one. You remember the one of the Royal Rumble 2001 poster? Yes. Yes. Where they are like the painted impressions of all kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a really good poster, man. <laughs> um where were we? Oh, yes. The Chef Boyardee commercial. Proper slice of late 90s, early 2000s nostalgia. The the extra stuffed ravioli. Yeah. Don't be a jabroni. So, eat beef ravioli. Yeah. There was such a, like, Chef Boyardee were proper in bed with WWF uh, mm-hmm. for a long time around this period. Uh, we get a huge reception for Jesse the Body Ventura coming out to speak with the king. Also, so, J- Jesse Ventura's music is a bop. It is a bop. And Jesse as well, so for context, has just, as he would say himself, shocked the world and been elected governor of Minnesota not too long before this uh, return to WWF after, uh, should we call it bad blood for want of... uh, He he, he sued Vince for a lot of money. Yes, yeah. Him (laughs) and Vince, never been big fans of one another. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was the whole thing of Hogan ratting out Jesse for trying to start a union. Yeah. Then Jesse sued Vince for all his royalties that he was due. Yeah. And uh, as as is with Vince, he actually respected Jesse for actually suing him and brought him back. Yeah. Uh, Jesse is in that long line of people that people swore when he mm-hmm. finished with Vince. Never going to appear on WWF TV again. I was that true maxim of when Vince was in charge. 
that there is no line someone can cross that Vince wouldn't eventually do business with you. He brought Jarrett back. He brought Warrior back. He brought Jesse back. He would bring anyone back. He tried to bring Macro back. I was going to say, except Phil Brooks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nobody wants Phil Brooks. It's so funny. Like I think one of the things that's underrated about that story of him getting kicked out of the building when he when he went to that raw taping was what a stooge Triple H is that he was so afraid Vince would get mad that he got security to escort Punk out of the building rather than ask him to leave himself. The like, old man. The old man says no. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, so did you fucking, did you see that story about Howard? The end about Vince at the uh, all staff meeting with the cane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, if he didn't look like a silent movie villain already enough with that stupid fucking mustache and the shoe polish dye, having a cane as well. But, now, I know he's just had serious back surgery, and I, less than half his age, would probably need a cane after serious back surgery. But yeah, it doesn't. For somebody who would only portray himself as invincible when being viewed by people in public, like, it is mad that he would winningly be seen with a cane. But you see, they recorded it as if it was a live show. Oh no! And he, oh, he, he made the uh, all the staff clap for him, like they were oh, a crowd. God. Like when he does that thing where he, I like, am Vince McMahon, damn it! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's fucking weird. It's genuinely embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So anyway. Jesse comes out. Um. Here's the thing I was gonna say. So he's been elected governor of Minnesota, and here's the thing. Thing for whatever you want to say, like people. People will talk about how he he wasn't a very good wrestler, right? He wasn't. He wasn't a very good wrestler. But one, the charisma of the man cannot be denied. Mm -hmm. And two, something that it makes so much sense that this man was put in commentary when he was, because I think it's a top five speaking voice in the history of professional wrestling. His speaking voice is great. It has that timber to it of like just professional broadcaster I just uh, yeah I just associate his voice with wrestling yeah it's yeah it's that I've never really thought of it that way yeah I've never really thought of it that way but you're right it's that just it's perfect for for pro wrestling and one of those in the in the the canon of like Dusty Rhodes and people like that, he's on the list of people that whenever he comes up in a story, people have to do the voice because the yeah. voice is so distinctive. But anyway, he says he's got three points to make about why he was the, named the referee for SummerSlam uh, for the world title match. He says, number one, I was a wrestling champion. People forget that. Number two. I was the first referee at a SummerSlam. Because even then, he says something about, like, I could put down the law, or I, you know, he, I knew the rules. Or Yeah, he, he refereed the first main event, first SummerSlam main event, uh, Hogan yes. and... Hogan and Beefcake, wasn't it? Against Zeus and... So. No, it wasn't. It was Hogan and Savage against the uh, Megabucks. That's what oh, it was. Yeah, that was the first yeah. one. Um, and then point number three, in a direct shot to who knows, he was legitimately a Navy SEAL. Not like all these people that go around pretending to have been in the army. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should say Jesse then spends the next two to three minutes uh, taking shots at all of his enemies. Yes. 
This is definitely a Jesse Ventura addresses his enemies, including Vince. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing that we all know about Vince as well, is that Vince did get tickled sometimes by people lighting him up on TV. And it's weird because, like, he wouldn't let people do it all the time, but sometimes he was kind of into it. Like um, the, the, the Heyman promo, yeah. The Heyman promo is the most infamous. Mm-hmm. It's like, gonna make me money! <laughs> <laughs> if you've never seen Paul Heyman tell the story of uh, that infamous the, promo the background of first yeah. and one, it's fantastic. Um, I don't think anyone else on earth would ever get away with it. like l- even mentioning Vince's father on television, mm-hmm. let alone all the other stuff he says. <laughs> but yeah, just a just a weird man. For sometimes it's like you can't say anything bad about Vince, but sometimes he really wants you to stick the boot in. Um. So, where am I here? Oh, yes. He said he is the only one. Um, WWF could only call him to lay down the authority to crown a new WWF champion. He calls Vince, and I quote, a scumbag <laughs> in this. And then Triple H comes out. And we mentioned it last time we did a, night, uh, a Knights of Nitro Raw crossover. But we've already mentioned one all-timer wrestling theme on this show. Actually, two. Gangrel and DX. Um, my Time is right up there. I do enjoy My Time. But I think it's because it was around not very long. That's why I like it yeah, so much. Yeah, we had like tw- nearly 25 years of time to play the game. Yeah. Um, for a I man don't... who like plumbed the depths of what little nostalgia existed for him, it's kind of surprising he never went back to My Time. But see, going back to teams is only a new thing that they've started doing. Yeah. But you remember, because oh, he went back to, like they did, obviously they they use King, Evolution. King of Kings in, yeah. every now and again, and that's what they used as the alternative for Triple H. Um, as a suit boy. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but it was only when I was watching watching the show back, I kind of thought about it. It was a really big deal to give Triple H a SummerSlam main event. Yeah. Like a really big vote of confidence. This was, they were pushing this guy to the moon. Like, if I remember correctly, he beat Rocky in a strap match to win the number one contendership. I think I fully loaded. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess it's a thing where like circumstance kind of dictated it as well because they just don't take Rock. Her. Rock had turned back babyface. Mm-hmm. Foley was obviously a, a made babyface for life by this point. Yeah. Well, uh, they they had done the Foley heel stuff post Mania. Yeah. And then they did but take he, her to follow it up. I think it was even a thing, though. Like, now, this is my recollection. I haven't watched this TV in a long time. But they were he was being portrayed as a heel. But people still liked him too much. Yes, they were. Yeah. He, was, he was never getting the top heel energy ever again um, by 99. So you kind of, on the heel side, in terms of main event heels at this point, it was just Taker. Well, like I said, they, they just don't take her, Austin. Yeah, they obviously had no fate in show. Yeah, uh, Shamrock was fully a face at this point, so and they weren't going to give and, him a heel. Tor- and heel on his tor- way out the door. Yeah, um, so yeah, there, there really wasn't, and we know Austin wasn't working with Jarrett. Yeah, and well, and Jarrett's contract was coming up as well two weeks later. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, there really wasn't anyone else, but I do think it was kind of a sign of right. But we gotta push this guy. Yeah. 
And they yeah. did. And this was the thing is like at the time when they were firing on all cylinders during the Attitude Era, when they decided to go with someone, they, they went with fucking them. went with them. Mm-hmm. They fucking went with them. Um, and they really did with Triple H. And he, again, it's so funny. He feels more genuinely big time in this segment than he did during like his reign of terror a few years later oh. where they're trying to make you think this guy is Harley Race. I, I really thought he was great on the mic here. Like opposite, yeah. opposite uh, Jesse. Dude, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Like the run from like early to mi- early to mid ninety nine all the way up till the quad tear, this guy was killing it. He, he was got cool. he understood it. He knew what he was. He knew what he was. It was before he was doing the long promos to start the show, but it was getting genuine heat at the time. Mm. You know, and it wasn't just like tropey not getting heat bullshit. And he was very good in the ring. Like, people mm-hmm. forget that because of how long he's not been good. And also, I think, you know, the WWE brainworms people really over-egg how good latter-day Triple H is. Where, like, he might have won two good matches a year, if mm-hmm. that, towards the end of his career. He was nothing. Like, the, the 99-2000 Triple H could work circles around this guy. Um, He was, I I really liked him. I really like I hated him but I liked him because of yeah. it um, and yeah he, he feels really big time here and he was great on the mic he says that uh, Jesse is stuck in the 70s he doesn't care if he was with the president doesn't care who he is if I feel like kicking your ass I will then Sean comes out and he said Triple H don't forget Jesse the body has standards and practices he must adhere to I don't though uh then you get to see you. You had said in our um, in our Discord channel that you see the many faces of Shawn Michaels tonight, mm-hmm. and one of them was here when he forgot the name of the company he worked for, and you have to look for Desi and go World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the little for Wrestling Federation. Is that it? Jesse's like, it was a real yeah, Sean, moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he gets all garbled mouth. He's like, blah, 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 or, yeah. And he looks oh, at Jesse. He's like, uh, <laughs> lion. Uh, he said, "It this you say this ring is your world, but don't forget I brought you into it." Uh, Triple H shoves him. Sean takes his jacket off, and Sean is still jacked. By the way, mm-hmm. um. It looks like he's ready to go. And this is another thing as well as like, I had kind of forgotten. Like, because I was so hyped when he came back in 2002. I've talked about this so many times and not even just on this podcast. I brought it up on, I was just on the Must See Matches podcast talking about the X7 main event. And Sean came up in that. I was talking about like the 2002 return. I was so plugged in and so hyped for him. But like, Sean left right when the company got nuclear hot. Like he, he he had to retire, and it's such a sliding doors thing. Like, what would Sean through ninety eight and ninety nine have looked like? But you could tell by the crowd reaction when he took his jacket off that they want, this they guy would yeah. they would have the the rating or the buy rate this would have done if he could have come back 99 or 2000 would have been through the roof there's a reason they spent four years teasing the Triple H match yeah yeah god that match anyway right we're gonna I'm gonna go down a wheel of nostalgia there for how much Mm -hmm. I love that match maybe 
my 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 last like proper high high rated triple h match of all time i hate that i was like an hour away from that match happening you didn't go to it i couldn't i was 16 yeah such a shame i hate it um so he takes his jacket off jesse breaks up the fight he whispers in sean's ear sean says great idea from the body it's going to be austin versus undertaker versus triple h tonight and I was very confused because I had already copied and pasted the card for tonight <laughs> down and I had forgotten what happens next. And I was like, what? Um, yeah. So then we get a teaser for one of our, for what's going to be our next crossover across the brands. The uh, SmackDown season debut is coming at the end of August. Um, oh, we're doing, so doing another why. simulcast for that one, yeah? Yeah, I think we'll do the, or even maybe a standalone of the the debut of smackdown because now thunder has competition i think it's an interesting one to talk about historically we get a little skit with uh delo jogging with mark henry they're doing this thing where like the two of them are buds and uh delo is euro continental champion at the time uh he's helping mark henry get in shape very funny helping an olympian get in shape um goes into the woods uh to take a leak uh, Jeff Jarrett hops out of a car and batters D'Lo and then runs away. Yep. Um, then we have, ah yes, the singles match. Jeff Jarrett versus Val Venus. A bunch of men dressed in bras have a sign saying that they'll show theirs if Deborah will show hers. And she acknowledges them repeatedly through her entrance, uh, much to the chagrin of Jeff. 1999, everybody. Mm-hmm. Then the porn man comes out. Uh, Who'd have thought the porn man would be the least problematic man in this match? Indeed. Uh, he barely manages to get his hello ladies out before Jeff jumps him. Um, JR, JR, in the most vague, there's something happening, but I am not going to tell you about it because I want you to keep tuned in for the next segment. He goes, we've just got a, an update from backstage that something happened. We have no details. <laughs> they spend the whole time in this match talking about something's happening. I'm hearing, I'm hearing reports. Apparently, these reports had no detail though. Uh, absolutely nothing happens in this match. Um, Deborah gets up to distract. Jeff nearly takes her out. Uh, Val wins with a blue thunder bomb. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> Did not know he had that in the locker. Don't remember that. Um, Val returns to uh to help Deborah because she's getting berated in the ring by Jeff because Jeff is doing the uh, I'm a massive sexist gimmick. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go to the back and Austin is dead. <laughs> Not for the last time in 1999, Steve Austin is dead in the backstage area. <laughs> a man has been fucking killed, stone dead at the bottom of the stairs. What I find hilarious is a bunch of medics and referees come to check on him and somebody goes, he must have tripped and literally in the same shot while they're saying this, you could see a cinder block shattered beside his head. Like, Coincidence. He must he must have tripped and fell down the stairs and gone face first into the cinder block. Uh, Sean comes out to the ring. Weirdly, he's put his jacket back on but took his shirt off. Yes. <laughs> So Steve, so Shawn Michaels was backstage shirtless. <laughs> Do you know what I think actually happened? I think this guy was enjoying himself 
all night and forgot he had a middle segment in between his initial segment and refereeing the match. So I think he was changing. And so when Sean, what the fuck are you doing? You have to go back out. And he's like, oh, I just need the blazer. <laughs> Again, though, in incredible shape. Incredible shape. Incredible shape. Um, So he blames Triple H. And again, here's the thing. Running through his career. Austin dead backstage segments. Triple H responsible for heinous attacks on people backstage in segments. I did. We kind of skipped over. I did love Triple H. I'm going, what happened? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was pretty good. The, the hey, innocence. <laughs> It was very well done. (laughs) But it was like, yeah, yeah, it was supposed to be disingenuous and it was very, very good. So he comes out and uh, he blames Triple H. Triple H comes out and he says, you know what? The triple threat match is now falls count anywhere and I'm putting your number one contendership at SummerSlam on the line. Triple H fucking loses it. And he says, do you know what as well? I'm going to be the special guest referee. I I thought Sean was lost here. He kept stumbling over his words. He kept losing track of where he needed to go. Yeah. Um, I thought Triple H did well getting him back on track going, well, who's the third person in the match? Yeah. He has this big smile on his face. He's like, I think you saw him go off in the ambulance as well, Chief. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, um, yes, but we're going to name a replacement. And as soon as he says replacement, this crowd are buzzing. And the China chants start. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember how long they've been laying it on that she was going to turn on him. Mm-hmm. But well, it's she clearly... torn, torn previously. Yes, 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 yes. I recall. Yeah, I vaguely recall that. Um. So as soon as he says it's going to be replaced, and people are chanting for China, mm-hmm. she was incredibly over and like that. She was. And he's like, who could I possibly pick? Who would stab their own mother in the back for one chance? And when he says China, the pop is enormous. Mm-hmm. And I love Triple H's reaction as well. It's like, nah. Yeah. Nah. It's, it's like, it, it's like something, <laughs> okay, okay, you've had your fun. We're not putting China in the match. Who's and the tour guy? Ha- I have to say, China sells this brilliantly Mm -hmm. like he says china and for a moment she's shocked but her face lights up Mm -hmm. she's like she has that realization that this is this is the chance to be like she could be the world wrestling federation champion and then he's when he's in the middle like is nah he just goes she's just a girl and her face fucking changes And then she just takes the microphone off and says, I accept. But Sean stood all over her line. Um, And then she said, she looks Triple H up and down and says, just a woman, try me. Which is great. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we'll talk about the booking of the match in a while, but they really should have had like her just fucking whipping his ass in this. But I guess like this is 1999. They weren't going to have Triple H look weak against a woman. That was, I, I have no doubt, the mindset with the way they booked this main event, but we'll talk about it in a bit. Uh, backstage, Triple H and China continue to argue. He's saying it came out wrong because he's realized he's fucked now. Um, then we get our WWF World Tag Team title match, the Acolytes versus Kane and Xbox. Mashup entrance for First Kane time and ever. Xbox. Yes. Yes. 
Um, a little insight into 1999, Dave. Fucking loved the Kane and X-Men. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. The world was robbed of a long run of green cane. Um, and now we have blue cane on the indies. Yes, sadly. Um, big sign here saying the Nick, whoever that is, fears sick boy. Big sick boy fans here on Monday Night Raw. Uh, Kane absolutely batters Bradshaw early in the match. Bradshaw hits a hard Irish whip into the corner. The acolytes isolate Kane. I noticed a Limp Biscuit sign. Uh, X-Pac was a great hot tag guy. Comes in, runs wild until Farouk rings his bell with a spine buster. I love the Farouk spine buster. Hit an almighty spine buster. Kane hot tag. Uh, Bradshaw and Kane start brawling outside. X-Pac goes up for the Dominator but slips out. X-Factor and we've got new champions. Um, I love that they won. They got a huge reaction. But I feel like the post-match people weren't allowed to drink in the moment. Because they had to shoot about 46 angles in 30 seconds. <laughs> so they go to cut a promo and says, Pac, uh, Pac says, if you ain't down with that, Kane's got two words for you. And he goes to use the voice box and Kane, uh, Xbox takes it off and says, you don't need that anymore. Or is it Road Dog took it off? No, it's uh, Xbox took it off. Oh, it's Xbox, yeah. So he takes, takes it off and says, you don't need that anymore. And Kane does the suck it. It's the first time he's spoken. Spoken without the voice box. Yeah. Um, Big Show and Undertaker come out then, jump them and beat them down. So we get two moments where they were going to celebrate and then interrupted by angles. That's a shame. Uh, then we get... GTV. Hell yeah. I didn't forget GTV, but I forgot that GTV had theme music. Yes, it did. Um, Billy Gunn is on a table. He is getting a massage. Mm-hmm. And the masseuse puts salad on what she describes as his robust buttocks. <laughs> I thought she called it his moneymaker. No, he called it his moneymaker. Oh, he did. Okay. She described it as his robust buttocks. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. We saw a lot of it on this show. I mean, it's 1999. We saw his ass every so week. Much. So he was Mr. Ass. Still is, I guess. Um, tag team matchup next. I'd talk about a galaxy of stars. <laughs> Ken Shamrock and Test versus Joey Abs and Steve Blackman. So before the match, we got the... Uh... The highlight footage of Test taking out the Mean Street Posse one by one. Yep, we're great, doing the great um, stuff. We're doing the angle where Test and Steph are besotted, betrothed, in love, and uh, Shane McMahon is not happy about this and is trying to take out Test repeatedly using his goons. <laughs> and uh, Test has now been yeah, he has basically crippled. Pete Gas and Rodney over last week, over the last few weeks, and Joey Abs is the only one left. As we was, all predicted, it was Rodney had the broken arm. Pete Gas had like the broken chest, or so he did, fucked him yeah. up somehow. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so basically Joey Abs is the last remaining blockage before he gets to Shane. Shane was on commentary for this, and he was unacceptably annoying for the couple <laughs> of minutes he was on here. Uh, Remember, Shane McMahon, the voice of WWF video games at this point. Yeah, WWF Attitude Mm -hmm. co-commentator. Another top 10 of all time theme song, Ken Ken Shamrock. Shamrock, Yes. Still on playlist now. If I want something to get me hyped, Ken Shamrock's music. It's it's kind of a shame 
that like it was given to him because he left in 99 <laughs> that like it should have been with somebody that stayed for years and years and years mm-hmm. or just given to somebody like i don't know who it would work with like immediately the person that used to come to mind was like who would have been great with his music would have been benoit Mm, but yeah, yeah, again, equally, we wouldn't be able to use that music anymore. Um, yeah. Love Ken Shamrock. Uh, yeah. What a man. Um, and a guy who, for there was a brief window there where he could have quite credibly been WWF he, champion. He, he may have entered the pay-per-view. Yeah. It's not, he's not there right now. He, that is not what he's doing at SummerSlam 99, let no, me tell you. Unfortunately. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh this match uh, this match got my biggest laugh on the whole show because this match starts with Joey Abs trying to stand and throw punches with Ken Shamrock (laughs) which goes very poorly for him the lack of respect Blackman has to come in and bail him out Shane sneak attacks test Um, Shane keeps distracting him and being very annoying on commentary until Shamrock's just like ah Joe I've had enough and absolutely beans him with a kendo stick I actually thought Uh, that was very good because Shane had the chair and Shamrock beans like you said beans the chair with the kendo stick and Shane sends a flying into the ring which plays into the finish yeah Uh, Tess then beats Joey off a pump handle slam uh, Test then points up the ramp at Shane, who is retreating, and then pilmanizes Joey Abs' ankle. Repeatedly. Uh, yes, repeatedly. So that is uh, all three of the Mean Street Posse hospitalized now at the hands of Test. Um, next segment, I wrote, Poor Jane the Seamstress, Billy Gunn got his arse out for her. Um, that, that is the Seamstress, isn't it? Yes. I recognize her, yeah. Yeah. Um, she was there, we there for many years. No, she this. was until like relatively recently, mm. I think. Um, we find out that he has poison ivy on his arse from the salad leaves. Um, that and he was wearing a nice lacy number under his jocks. <laughs> um, Rock is on his way out. Uh, Tess has a an interview with Cole. He says all him and Steph want is to be left alone. He's pretty fired up in this. And he says there's no one left now between me and you, Shane. And there was like, God, if if Test would, like ever had put it together during this period where they thought about pushing him, like if he actually could have been pretty good in the ring, like he probably would have made it. But... Nah, they killed him dead with the, the yeah. Steph Triple H stuff. Yeah. Um so Blackman then oh and this was the bit where it was it was Blackman talking backstage mm-hmm. I can't remember who it is is interviewing him Terry Taylor oh it was Terry Taylor yeah so the two of them are standing but not facing the camera they're literally facing as if you and I were having a conversation and the camera just happens to be there and I was so weirded out by it, it was like they were standing like normal people talking uh, really strange um, but he says I will step into the lion's den which must have been a challenge Shamrock had laid down before this raw and he goes, but I will only do it on my terms, and that's if there's weapons hanging around the ring. So SummerSlam 99, Lion's Den, it's on. Lion's Den weapons um, match. Mm. Uh, it's time for the segment that we did this show for. The Rock is out, talks shit on the big show. And then the Millennium Clock strikes zero, Lee. And Chris Jericho comes out one thing I, I i always forget because if i watch this moment it's usually like the youtube version which has compressed sound so if you watch this on the network version or if you have a decent version recorded yourself 
as soon as the clock starts to count down, you can hear Jericho chants. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 <clears throat> I don't know what you have to say on this, but I thought from the moment the countdown clock begins, like mid-promo, I loved everything about this. Um, I love that it didn't go at 10. It started at 15. You get that little bit yeah. extra bit of anticipation. Mm-hmm. You get the pyro. And then you get the another all time another all timer theme song. Yeah, and then like you get the pyro, the flashing lights, and then the lights grow. Yeah, and that that moment, that roar as soon as the word Jericho, Jericho. appears on the oh screen. Oh my god, it's an all timer! If you, if you'd never gone back and watched it, there yeah. like we we talked about it. People knew there was a lot of people that knew, but go back to when Punk debuted in AW. Everybody knew that why they were there, yeah. but until they actually come out, you you always you have that doubt. Sure. You knew, but you're not sure. And yeah. th- it was the same with Jericho. And as soon as Jericho pops up on that throne, my god, did they lose it? But it's also, I, I'm like, here's a thing: is like I'm going to praise the WWF at one hand and then slap them down with the other, because Jericho was a guy who was firmly slotted in the middle of the mid card in WCW much as he was getting himself over way more than his slot. Mm -hmm. And I think people would have absolutely been up for him being pushed further up the card. But the perception of him on national TV this whole time has been mid-carder. In one night, you could have made a top guy here. It's just that they didn't follow up on him for pretty much his entire first run in the company. Well, and look, he says himself that, it was it was a yes. lot self-inflicted. Yes, yes, it's not all their fault. And the thing is, if you were around at the time, as we both were, there were a few occasions where they teased going with him, mm-hmm. and people wanted it. He was on the original WrestleMania 16 poster. It was yes. him, not Foley. They did the dusty finish. Mm-hmm. With him beating Triple H on Raw, which is still one of the loudest pops you will ever hear on a Raw when he beat Triple H. Um, and it's one of those dusty finishes that, like, I mean, we all trash some dusty finishes. No, they, they went one. through a break with this one. It was so good. It was so good. If they had followed that, like, if they had followed that giving the Triple H, the belt back to Triple H, with Jericho actually getting a shot and winning the title then it would have all been worth it Mm. and again you would have made the guy but this guy oozed superstar in this segment the segment you could argue and I will hear the the argument that it maybe went a little too long It did, and because it went a little too long I feel like he tried to get a few more catchphrases up and running than he maybe should have in one go yeah. I'll give you that. He took a few too many close to the vest shots at the whole company. Yes. And he probably should have kind of edited edited himself a little. Yeah. But you, you get it. First night in, excitement, trying mm-hmm. to make a name for yourself. Fair enough. The main pot shot I will take at this segment is, once again, I will slate him for the exact same thing I slated him last time he was out in the ring talking about a wrestler on this show. For all the work they did to make this a genuine superstar debut, which they did do, The Rock just immediately poo-poos him. Mm-hmm. 
And if you have like arguably your top baby face now or your one B baby face behind Austin, if you have him poo poo this guy, then that's a that's a message. Yeah, isn't we, it, we, to fans? we we just talked about it. They had no top heels. Yeah. Like Billy Gunn is facing Rock uh SummerSlam. This was a, this was a guy that they had every chance to bring in and be a kind of top of the card worker. Um, that's actually another thing. Jericho is the first jump from WCW to WWE WWF that really raised the level of the WWF for me. Yeah, he, he like I think if you went and looked at the average match time of a Raw match in 1999 compared to 2000. Yeah. It has to be night and day. Like Jericho is yeah. the first, I don't want to call super worker, but he's definitely a guy that they could throw out there and say, here's 12 minutes, go do something. Instead of Christian and Gangrel getting what? Three and a half? Two? Mm. Two and a half maybe? Yeah. I think like, it would go up, the level of work would obviously go up much higher when the radicals arrived. Angle being a fucking once in a generation. Yeah, but I really think one of the things that was important about the Jericho jump was I think there was a lot of people in WCW watching the other channel that night. It's the thing people keep saying about like when Cody went to WWE, it was so important that they protected him because now it shows other guys that are maybe thinking of leaving AEW they won't be buried. Yeah, you probably just won't get hired now. Yeah, now they probably won't get hired. But at the time, mm-hmm. when it was a real war of, like, we want people to, like, tease people away from the other company, it was really important to do that. And I think Jericho, as maybe the first man over the over the line of demarcation in that direction for a long time, I think it was really important that, even though, like I said, they don't follow it up and the man get, ends up in an internal feud with China uh, and with a bunch of other people. Like, they really don't get that guy in something meaningful that gets hugely over until probably the Benoit feud, mm-hmm. early 2000. Um, but still, in that moment, it's just like, they will give WCW guys chances here. And I think, in their heart of hearts, I think that pushed a lot of people who would then jump over the next six, eight months closer to the door. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's an all-timer segment. And, and something that like always... One of the most iconic visuals from that whole era of wrestling is Jericho doing the pose. Yep. Which if you read the book... He stole from Michael Jackson. Stole from Michael Jackson, but also wasn't planning to do it until he like basically he was walked. there. Yeah. He walked up and he was just like, it would look cool if I did this. As he says, he kind of did it wrong. And, but it became the thing. Like, it is when the lights come up and he's doing the pose. Like, it is genuinely one of the coolest visuals it, you'll it's, ever see. Yeah, it's, it's a superstar entrance. It's literally, yeah. you're all looking at me. I'm not looking at you. Yeah. Um. Right. That is by far... The most the most important part of the show so i think we can rattle through most of the rest of it now yes um the funny maybe the second funniest thing on the whole show was uh bob holly big shot bob holly <laughs> big the big shot 
uh, trying to get the big shot over. It's so funny because he does the same line delivery three times identically. Into one different rooms. Break, one after the break. He's just, he does this three times. He kicks a door open and he says, have you seen the big show? Tell him the big shot's looking for him. And he delivers it the same way. Exactly. So you have couldn't trust him to do more than one line. We have the big shot, Bob Holly. Yes. We have big nasty big show, Paul White. Yeah. Have you any other big big boss man? Big boss man. Yeah. The big bopper. Big (laughs) bopper. Big bugger red. (laughs) Big evil. Uh, Big evil. God. Uh, Non-title hardcore match up next: the big boss man versus the road dog. The big road dog. Uh, match is absolute dog shit for a minute uh, and boss man puts him through a table speaking of dogs Al Snow comes out and in a thing that I'm sure he got a receipt for backstage he hits boss man so hard with a dog carrier he breaks the dog, the carrier. dog carrier shatters over his head um, he was definitely meant to pull that shot and he didn't that's Netflix uh, Al Snow god I I do wonder if somebody's going to go to the TRL tier to get us to watch the OVW documentary because I it will just make me mad. Every gif I've seen of it, it's just going to make me so mad. I saw it came up on my, my TV the other day and I was like, oh God, I can't. I can't make myself watch that. Like, I'll tell you what, Al Snow's a much better worker than I thought he was because he managed to work an entire Netflix production crew into thinking that he had some sort of important role in the future of wrestling. Anyway, singles match, Big Show versus The Rock. Absolutely nothing happens in this match, and then the big shot comes out. Uh, he gets a headbutt from Big Show. The Rock and the Big Show are in the ring, and Bob Holly interrupts. Yeah. I would love, I'd love the reverse shot of The Rock looking fucking disgusted to see the big shot out here. Um. So gets a headbutt from the big show. Rock low blows him. DDTs him into position for the people's elbow. Obviously didn't fancy the underspoiling buster. No. Um, but as he's going to do it, and this is something you would forget because you all think of the segment where he debuts, but you forget that Jericho very briefly interferes in this match. Uh, so Jericho interviews and then uh, Billy William Gunn comes in with his itchy arse and hits the worst jackhammer you've ever seen, which is identified as a jackhammer mm-hmm. by Jim Ross. Um, and then, yeah, scratches his hole on the way out. <laughs> do, you, do, do you remember that Billy Gunn was trying to get over the jackhammer? <laughs> Billy Gunn had an itchy hole? Yeah, well. No, I, I, I had forgotten until just now that he was a guy who hit the jackhammer. He's had more finishes than Chris Jericho. Is it a thing? Is it like their version of WCW giving the stunner to Disco to devalue the stunner? I should hope not considering they fucking just had Billy Gunn win King of the Ring. Yeah, but it's only a couple of years later where Edge cuts that incredible promo where he says, I promise not to Billy Gunn this opportunity as King of the Ring. Billy Gunn who's still in the company at the time. Billy Gunn who one year or two, is it is it by King of the Ring 2000 or is it it's season 1? In 2001, during King of the Ring, the winner two years previously is in WWF New York during the King of the Ring finals. Mm-hmm. <sighs> the main event is here. The WWF World Heavyweight Title Number One Contendership Triple Threat Match with Shawn Michaels, a special guest referee, and Jesse Ventura on commentary. You couldn't get more bells and whistles if you tried. 
Uh, Triple H versus China versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer. Shawn Michaels, what a worker. Coming out in the Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy t-shirt and pointing repeatedly at the phone number. I'd like to believe a young Spanky was watching Raw that night. A young American dragon said, Mm. I want me some of this. Look how tight those shorts are. I wonder if I can get a pair of those. (laughs) You think you could get Danielson to talk about those tight shorts and what they do for Spearm Count in 2023? The the smuggled banana shorts. (laughs) Um, well, he what, loves. Well, I'll tell you what. For a man who loves talking about flaccid penises, you could see the level of flaccidity of Shawn Michaels throughout this. Um, I was going to say we get more all-time or great music as the Undertaker comes out to Dark Side. Oh, fantastic! The best version of his music. Mm-hmm. Um, he it, it, Shawn during his entrance because it's of course 1999 decides it'd be really funny if he grinded on China. Uh, very quickly, she shoots him a look that I imagine was not a worked look of I'll I will fuck you up. You. Yeah, and he's like, oh, oh, oh sorry. <laughs> um, China and Triple H get in each other's faces during Taker's entrance. Taker immediately shoves her over, and she stays on the floor shocked. So this is the thing. This is the real problem I have, and I guess this is looking back with twenty twenty three eyes. Like realistically, in nineteen ninety nine, the people that were in WWF were not going to book this match any differently. No. China was the damsel in distress during this. One move would happen to her and she would be out of the match for minutes. So she got shoved over and she was frozen in place on ground for nearly a minute. Um, She gets back up. um, She gets up in Taker's face. He goozles her, lifts her up. She kind of pokes him in the eye. But uh, she tries to dive off the top rope. Then he throws a single punch and it takes her out of almost the entire match. She takes a great bump, though. Yeah. Great she bump. does take a great bump. Yeah. She goes for it. Um, I, I did falling... like, I was going to say, I did like on uh, commentary around this time, Jesse can't help but be, but be a heel and speculate that Austin was drunk and fell down the stairs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He just can't help himself. <laughs> he has to be a heel. He can't help himself. <laughs> uh, and did you know what? Jerry's encouraging it as well. Um, I actually had to look up after uh, Jesse was like oh I remember we had that match in Memphis I looked up they did yeah Um, it felt like a thing Jesse was bringing up to try and pop Jerry yeah he did it it succeeded because he brought up what Um, was it the San Diego chicken or something yeah yeah Um, Taker goes for a chokeslam after a lot of brawling outside low blow from China they then double team Taker (laughs) I obviously was lost in thought because like how was Sean allowed on national TV in those shorts? <laughs> like, that's obscene. That's more obscene than when he got his arse out that time. Did slow scene Sean in tight shorts. What do you want me to tell you? Yeah, the smuggled banana shorts, eh? Because um, that was not even the last time they would appear. No, Judgment Day. Yeah, you would have to you had to pay on pay-per-view for those shorts to come back for an hour. Um, <laughs> fucking hell. Um... What, Jesse what? completely forgot the stip of the match and had to be reminded as well. What? He forgot this was for the number one contendership. He was talking about it being Triple H and Austin. They're like, oh, that, no. Um, <laughs> Not necessarily. What What did you think of Undertaker's uh, very gentle chokeslam on China? Yeah, it was the, I really don't want to, it was like the choke nap on Hogan. I was just going to say, we've talked about previously about the choke nap where Big Nasty did to Hogan, where he very he gently placed him down. He picked her up and he laid her down to sleep. 
Uh, and the crowd booed because they were like, oh, we won't see this woman murdered, apparently. Yeah, yeah put her through the <laughs> ring, these bloodthirsty 1999 fans. Chicago ones. Uh, Triple H hits the knee and, like, God, you forget how bad Taker used to be. Like, and still, like, to be fair, like, even in his, his workhorse era, he was pulling out for one match a year. Like, he was a giraffe on roller skates an mm-hmm. awful lot. And Triple H hits his rising knee and he stumbles back 10 feet across the ring into the ropes and just goes on his arse. And it looked awful. Um. So then uh, he, he tries to pin China, but Taker breaks it. We cut backstage and Austin is back, just shoves a random crew member off a chair and takes it. Uh, China gets knocked off the apron. Triple H is out on the floor. And as Taker is threatening Sean inside the ring, Austin walks out absolutely decapitated Triple H with a chair shot. I mean, I've seen some chair shots in my time. He hits him flush in the face. And what gets me is the fucking sound. He hit him flush in the face. (laughs) He was not aiming for Triple H's head. He was aiming for a spot two feet behind Triple H's head. He went through Triple H's head to get to it. planted him. He hit him so hard and so fast that Triple H tried to get his hands up. I don't think he did. He gets his hands about halfway up and the chair is already embedded in his face. Oh my God, what a fucking chair shot. (laughs) And then he puts um, China on top to get the pin. It was China on top to get the pin, but at that point, like, everybody's ears are still ringing from the chair shots. Like, everyone um, remembers the one to The Rock, where he walked, you know, the, the Foley win. That was a great chair shot as well. But my God, this one was fucking <laughs> incredible. I, I think it was because of the way the camera swings. You're not expecting it. And because his hands are starting to go up, you're like, oh, he'll get there. Nope. <laughs> like, I, I would But it was the sound. Yeah, it was the sound, and it was like, if you had reversed the camera angle, you would see a sweaty face print exactly <laughs> in Triple H's. In the chair. It's like the, like the fucking Shroud of Turin. <laughs> <laughs> oh my but, god. Uh, China wins, and is for now the number one contender at SummerSlam, and we go off the air with The Undertaker fucking fuming about us. Um... Should we talk about how next week the number one contendership changes? I think it's three times. Yes. So Foley Foley returns in the fourth segment, gets a match with China. He wins the number one contendership. Foley, who, by the way, has only been out for maybe two months with, like, knee surgery. Yeah, we we talked about it the last time that he comes back really quickly. Because they they needed somebody. I read it in the Observer and you were like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Um... Yeah, so like he comes back next week, wins the number one contendership, then they do another triple threat match with him, trying and Triple H. And I think there's a fuck finish where Triple H wins, and then they somehow get back to it being a triple threat match by the end of the show. Yeah, just so fucking convoluted, mate. But anyway, that was Raw. Um, really good show. we go straight into Nitro, or do you want to give a winner and loser for that? Nah, we'll come back to it. Straight okay. into Nitro. Right, we'll go into Nitro now. This is Nitro 203 from Boise, Idaho, also the 9th of August 1999, getting, as we discussed earlier, a 3.1 rating. We had a dark match on this show, Lee. 
um, because we are mere weeks away from his television debut. They are they are getting him ready for television. The Disco Inferno wrestled Berlin. Oh God! In the dark match, I'm sure that was an absolute classic to behold. Uh, oh. The dancing fools back together in a different guise. So that's two tag teams that imploded on Disney. I guess so. Yeah. We get a video package to open Nitro. Uh, Mona begging for her job back on the previous week to no avail. Uh, she low blows Randy Savage, who then gets killed by Rodman. Steiner lures Goldberg into a trap backstage with Sid. Hudson gets murdered. Hogan placed gently through a table. All the stuff that we kind of talked about on the last episode of Thunder, uh, with the exception of the Mona stuff we hadn't heard about. Um, Tony and Brain talking huge and actually authentic Goldberg chants not mm-hmm. once being piped in um, they also reveal Lee uh, cross this one off your bingo card for the month the power in WCW has changed yet again um, as Sting has surrendered control of the company a new present will be named imminently J.J. Dillon is in charge on an interim basis, and Dusty Rhodes has been appointed the head of the championship committee, which in that respect kind of reflects what we talked about the other week with Dusty is now back in a prominent role booking with Nash, not out of the picture, but very much more on the periphery than he had been. Yeah, because remember, Dusty had that weird interview a couple of weeks ago where he's like begging Flair for a job. Mm Mm-hmm. So now, now it's like he's got his job because WCW has the power back. Yes. Uh, Heenan, and not for the first time on this hour for a commentator to say it, but uh, Heenan flat out says, we need Dusty to turn this company around. Mm-hmm. So we have now reached the era where people are just openly talking about how terrible WCW is Yeah, how the, fourth, the, the first part of 1999 was absolute shit. Yeah. They're still kind of doing it under the guise of in storyline. It's so you could you could kind of pass it off as because Flair was in charge, everything sucked. But that's not how most people are reading it. Remember when the, the McMahons came out and went, "Oh, Baron Corbin ruined our show." That that's what it was. <laughs> yes, yes. Except except nineteen ninety nine, WCW had not in fact signed the Young Bucks like WWF mm-hmm. thought they had. Um. Where are we next? Match number ah, yes. one. Match number one. Uh, quite the trio as Norman Smiley, Lash LaRue, the Raging Cajun, and Prince Ikea, the Flatpak Sovereign, take on the Deadpool. El Vampiro, Shaggy Too Dope, and Violent J. Who are never yes. referred to by name, we should say. No. They have, um, God, what's the name of that? There's like the ICP character. Jack Jekyll, is it? Jack Jekyll, yeah. Is on the back of both their jerseys and Brain legitimately thinks Violent J's name is Jack Jekyll. Um, yes, this is the in-ring debut of the Insane Clown Posse on our podcast. Um, and it is nowhere near the last time we will see them wrestle. Um, Heenan, during the entrance, puts over the Smiley Scoop Slam big time. Love you, Brain, for that. Um, and this is the thing like Heenan isn't a guy who especially at this stage is willingly bestowing compliments on people he doesn't like so it's very interesting to me that he t- looks at a very green as grass Lash LaRue and puts him over big saying this kid's gonna make it to mm-hmm. the big time um, implying that WCW is in fact not the big time 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, this guy's going to get a job somewhere better. Um, Lash and uh, Vamp start off with dueling chops, and Tony immediately, like, it's like he was waiting for the bell ring to just start talking about Hogan. Yeah. Um. So that's pretty much the tenor of the whole show, is they pretty much talk about Hogan and Nash for three hours. Uh, Mickey J completely misses a tag to Ikea, and tries to get rid of him out of the ring, even though he did legally tag in. Um, let's pull this band-aid off very quickly, Lee. Uh, I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this. Well, you agree with me on the first part, I think. You'd have to. The Insane Clown Posse suck. But they're great. As a musical act, yes. As wrestlers, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they bring something to me there? Do they bring something to the show? Yes. Yes. Well, this is it. Like, I would much sooner watch an ICP shit the bed in a match that's really over because it's ICP rather than like half these guys that are more talented, but WCW will never do anything with. I like this match was not good. First of all, first of all, no. IKEA was in this match for the majority of it and it was fucking horrendous. Yeah. You have. Norman Smiley, who I was like, I saw the teams and I was like, right, this match is going to be 99% Vampiro and Norman Smiley. Smiley. And everyone else will be allowed in in very limited quantities. And that's not how it was. It was mostly ICP wrestling Ikea and Lash LaRue. Which is what you do in this circumstance. You put the the four greenest people in there. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, this match fucking was dog shit. Yeah, but I was captivated by it because there's there's just something about the ICP. They are terrible wrestlers. The Deadpool are heels, but they are some of the biggest baby faces on this show yes. in terms of crowd reaction. Well, I mean, it's the thing like Juggalos do go like they're renowned for following the ICP to whatever they're yeah. doing, and it's like probably like this period is the most mainstream. ICP are in terms of popularity you know what I mean like they have more of a recognition amongst people who aren't juggalos than they yeah and like by 2001-2002 the last time I remember them being referenced was remember Eminem would take shots at them on his albums Yeah, like that's the last time I remember them being kind of relevant Shaggy 2 Dope gets in at one point and as he throws a punch his pants fall down Yes, and Normally, with a clown, you think that's a that's a that's a stage spot, like because that is pretty good clown bit. But no, this man just had ill-fitting trousers and was a terrible wrestler. Even considered that, <laughs> yeah. Look, I'll tell you, I'll say it right now, Lee. I'll put this down. If that was a planned spot, he should have won the Thez Award that year. All I can hear as he chose is... to punch you, say whoop. <laughs> It's like, you know, the apes is a bit. It's like, Abe, could you go five seconds without embarrassing yourself? And the suspenders explode and his pants fall down. How long was that? <laughs> I really wish that was on purpose now. <laughs> but the thing was, I say with 100% uh, confidence, it wasn't. He just had baggy pants and he was a shit wrestler. <laughs> Are you are you confident that ten times out of ten you could tell me which one's Shaggy Two Dope and which one's Violent J? Oh yeah. Oh good, good. 
I wonder if that like is it just that I'm so wrestling brained I could easily tell the difference because I watched their whole WCW run. Yeah, Violent like, is a chunky one. Yes, nowadays harder to tell. Oh, is it okay? Shaggy Two Dope caught up. Okay, <laughs> let's just say that the uh, the look the cal the the calories in Fago are gonna tell after a while. That's all I'm gonna say. Again, we're very much open to being share, uh, sent a share, uh, like a care package of Fago if if Fago is still made. I um, I really hope it's not. You would have to try it if it's still got sugar in it because I can't drink it. Uh, but I'm volunteering you for that. Uh, uh, thanks. thanks. Anytime, buddy. Do you, do you think uh, any Juggalos listen to us? I don't know. Shout us out. Juggalos are welcome here. I don't know if we'd be welcome at the gathering of the Juggalos. No. But the Juggalos are definitely welcome here. I find it a very interesting subculture. I wonder, could I get booked in Juggalo Championship Wrestling? They're like, they're unbelievably popular. Yeah. Like, like, I think for people who don't, who haven't kept up with the Juggalos, it would shock you how popular they still are. Like, JCW still does big shows. It's amongst all the same people that always liked them. But it's still quite a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we will go on many, many ICP-related tangents <laughs> over the next couple of years on this show. <laughs> um, the Norman Smiley hot tag got a huge pop. It did. Um, what, what, slams everyone. What did you think of the tight shot on the big wiggle? Yeah. Well, you know, they need to be past the watershed to show the whole thing. <laughs> Lest the American public see his his joyriding hips. Now, I'll tell you what would have been fucking obscene is him coming out doing that in the Shawn Michaels shorts. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> fucking hell, Dave. I picture, I picture actually him doing the big wiggle and it causing Shaggy Doodle's pants to fall down again. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I'm booking this company, if they brought me in instead of Vince Russo, I am contriving weekly spots where something causes his pants to fall down after this match. Anyway, just in the background of shots backstage, yeah. just his pants are falling yeah. down. Yeah, you know, like uh, positively, Canyon would be in the background of shots. Canyon, Canyon could be yeah. that year for now, but it's just like in scenes where someone's doing like a serious promo or something like you just see shaggy judo but like catering just talking to someone really casually and it's just his pants fall <laughs> as road dog pushed through a door i feel like yeah <laughs> with his tapes i feel like i'm turning this into um you know patrick stewart in extras where he's just like have you ever seen no i'm not an extras guy no so he does it Patrick Stewart does this great bit where he's like he's like because you know the the whole bit is actors play themselves but mm-hmm. it's like weirdo versions of themselves and Patrick Stewart is like I've had this idea for a movie where I play my character from the X-Men um Professor Xavier and I see an attractive woman walking down the street and I wonder what she'd look like with no clothes on and then all her clothes fall off and she scrambles and she gets them back on very quickly. But by then I've seen everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like he describes another scenario where the exact same thing happens and he does the, but by then I've seen everything. 
that's, I feel like I just turned into that there where a very serious segment is going on. And then Shaggy Two Dope's pants fall down. Oh, it, and he gets them back on very quickly. But by then I've seen everything. <laughs> Which is funny because you were complaining earlier on about seeing so much of Billy Gunn's ass. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm now I'm saying we haven't seen enough of Shaggy Two Dope's. <laughs> 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 oh my god who'd have thought on the first ICP match we ever fucking review would turn into this <laughs> such a good spot and we thought Raven was gone <laughs> and we haven't even mentioned <laughs> him yet <laughs> we haven't even talked about Raven was there and he'd painted an ank on his face yeah because like he just didn't give a shit <laughs> yeah the hair was wild He's, I don't uh, know if it was part of his gimmick or he was just at a goth rave the previous night and he cared so little about his employment he just didn't wash anymore. Yeah. Looks rough. <sighs> Fuck. I mean, Sorry. Deadpool oh win. Oh my god. Deadpool do win via the big boy moonsault. And I feel like it came up because somebody posted the gif of Vader doing the over the, the ropes moonsault. Mm. Um that the big boy moonsault has come back into vogue on Twitter this week. Oh. Um, and I would like to say, Violent J hits a pretty good big boy moonsault. Dog shit wrestler, decent moonsault. Uh, even though this match was maybe two and a half, three minutes long, and he wasn't there for very long, Violent J is completely blown up. Still better than Ikea, though. Yeah. But also much better face paint than Sting because it hasn't really started yeah, to melt what the fuck? at all. What do they use on their face? But certainly not. Like, I think, I don't know what Sting uses. I, I like that. I think that's the more important question because even now in 2023, it, it runs off him in like 30 seconds. Yeah, but we all know it's Steve Stinger. Yeah, this is true. We don't know what Shaggy Tooth Open Volume J look like. I, I genuinely don't. I think it would be really disturbing to me to see them without the face paint. Why well, you spend so anyway. much time? Anyway, we're spending way too much time on ICP here. Raven all but rolls his eyes, by the way, when this match yeah. is over. It's like the bell rings and it cuts to him in the corner. He's like, fuck's sake. He's so miserable. It's great. I love it. You can just hear me like, ah. <laughs> uh, we get WCW collectors covers uh, of TV Guide this week. You can get Nash, Sting, Savage or Kimberly. And knowing 1999 wrestling fans, I'll bet my entire house on which one of those sold out. Um, but I, I digress, uh, as Taz would say. Uh, Nitro Girls, number one. Uh, something that's really occurred to me 10 Nitros in. It's so funny that they've had the Nitro Girls for so many years doing every hour of Nitro they do a song. And they still haven't bought the rights to more than about three songs for them to do. <laughs> or ask DJ Rand to create some new ones. Because even, is this one, I can't remember which one it is, like, where I'm like, oh, that's just the music they end up using for, is it Miss Hancock comes out to one of them? Yeah, mm-hmm. I couldn't remember if it was her or Major Guns at first. One of the two of them came out to one of the Nitro Girls team, but I think it is Miss Hancock. I think it's Miss Hancock, I'm pretty sure it's Miss Hancock. Because, yeah, she comes out and she does her dance, mm-hmm. so I think it was to that, yeah. But, um... Yeah, it's just like, oh, we've had them for years. And I'm sure the girls are fucking sick to death of the three songs at this stage as well. And they're just like, nah, fuck it. They have to rehearse dances and all to those songs. Yeah. Every single week. 
the Revolution are backstage <clears throat> haranguing Dusty Rhodes, uh, our head of the championship committee, asking them if, there, if there's ever going to be change. Dusty says, it's a new regime. They are going to get their opportunity, but if you don't take that opportunity, that's on you. Flair and Tori walk by. Uh, Tori in her hometown tonight, by the way. Oh. Of that's, because I only know that because that's where I learned that there is a place on this earth called Boise. That you've never heard of Boise before? Never heard of Boise until she started getting, when she was in WWE and started getting introduced from Boise. Um, it's one of those moments where, like, you know the way, uh, US wrestling fans obviously don't have this as much, but for European wrestling fans, it's definitely true that we know way more US geography than we should purely because of professional wrestling. Yeah, my 10-year-old my knows way too much American geography because of wrestling. There is not one chance on this earth that I would know there is a place called Battle Creek, Michigan. What about Bombay, Michigan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bombay, Michigan. I wouldn't know there's a place called Parts Unknown either. <laughs> right next to Truth uh, or Consequences. Yeah, Truth or Consequences. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, there's so much of US geography, both real and fake, that I, uh, I, I, I know now. It, that's only useful in pub quiz type scenarios. Oh, yeah. Like if an American state question comes up, it's like, ah, oh, the wrestling yeah, yeah. fan knows. In what city is this arena as well is one that I'm really good at well, because I'm, of wrestling. I'm lost at that shit now because they all change names so often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get stuff like the IZOD Center anymore. No. Yeah. Like Which the, is... the All-State Arena in Chicago, that's the Rosemont, isn't it? Rosemont Horizon. Yeah. Is it? I think so. Um, So, where are we now? I completely lost my place. Match number two. Oh, yeah. So, so no, it's uh, Flair and Tori are walking by oh, talking yeah, yeah. shit. And Benoit's just like, fuck you, and puts him in a crossface. Yeah. And D- Dusty says, right, okay, you're talking shit. It's Benoit versus David Flair for the US title tonight. Our long national nightmare may be about to end, Lee. Next match, which I alerted you about, because I, I told you that the ICP wrestled in this show, and you were like, oh, brilliant. And you meant it seriously, like you weren't being sarcastic. Mm. I said, well, don't get too excited, because the second match is the Public Enemy versus the West, Tex- West Texas Rednecks. Yeah. Fucking hell. I'm just <laughs> going to give you a, I'm just going to give you another... Actually, no. Before we get to the match, something I had completely forgotten about. Uh, by the way, Tony and Brain start this segment by burying WCW again and talking about how bad WCW has been. I had forgotten that there was a second West Texas Redneck single. Yeah, I actually forgot that as well. Good old boys. And this was a bop. <laughs> uh, but Kurt Hennig clearly hadn't learned the lyrics to this one because he only sings the chorus to this <laughs> during their entrance. Uh, but I'm going to stand back. because I think my policy going forward now, Lee... Um, is when the public enemy are on TV, you get the office. <laughs> I only have one thing that I nearly I want to mention during this match, and I will mention it once you're done. <clears throat> so I got to take a big sip of Pepsi for the working man, and you tell us about this Matt fucking classic. Well, I mean, I don't have a ton to say about the match because, I mean, I've been over this a hundred times. The public enemy are a fucking embarrassment, even by 1999 standards. They have no place on television. Uh, Johnny Grunge in particular. Like, how that man ever got a contract. He is fucking out of shape. Which is fine if you're a big boy wrestler. He's not. Yeah. 
And also it was much finer. Like I and now maybe it's rose colored glasses, but you definitely have watched a good bit of ECW as well. There was a time where Flyboy Rocco Rock was all right. Yeah. Wasn't there? And he was definitely like, you can be the useless big guy wrestler if you're with a guy who can actually keep the match together. Like Rock Rock or Rock was the worker of the group. And even in this one, like he kind of he does okay in there with Henning. But, but he's definitely washed. Oh yeah, he's done. Like finished at this point. Uh, like I, I was only thinking it's so funny that in the mid two thousands, one of the biggest independent tournaments was named after one of these guys because by this point they are just fucking. Oh, it's just I hate seeing them on TV. I just I wish they'd just go away. Um, more importantly, I want to bring up the fact that Barry Windham is back in wrestling tights. And trunk, uh, wrestling trunks and boots. Yeah, gone are gone are the camo shorts. How, how did you feel about that? I loved. I, he he lost. He lost his little Daisy Dukes. I love Barry Windham. He's great. Yeah. Like, look, come here. We've mentioned it. Henning and Windham are absolutely washed by this point. But my God, they're still streets ahead of the Public Enemy. And they're also like they've got that quality of like the the old people in the nursing home who like start dating it's like ah they're both done for but it's nice that they found each other isn't it but isn't it a real indictment of uh duncan jr and uh the other windham that the two washed guys are still getting picked ahead of them for matches on nitro Mm -hmm. uh can i also uh, this are the two spots i want to mention in this match are the public enemy nearly murdered kurt hennig on live television with a flapjack like, how you can fuck up a double flapjack. They both let go of him. Yeah. I think... I think Kurt Hennig thought it was going to be a back, back body, body drop. drop. He did. And they held on to him for too long. And then let go. And then let go of him. And he just ends up in a fucking heap. Oh. And then, right before the finish, grunge it. And you know how much I love this very basic wrestling move. So it aggravates me no end that this happened and I can say with some confidence as an expert in the field Johnny Grunge hits Barry Windham with the single worst neckbreaker I have seen in a long time you know a neckbreaker is bad when the man you're doing the neckbreaker to lands on top of you yeah. the person executing the move and that is what happens here mm-hmm. uh, dog shit yeah. dog shit match miserable experience the rednecks win yes the rednecks win thank god by the way because i think i i, I probably would have put, pitched the laptop out the window if the public enemy got a win here not that like the the rednecks are this great protected act but again there is there is very few acts in this company more transparently washed and at the bottom of the card like i'm pretty sure that these guys would already be not on TV again had they been two of the only people not substantially injured in that junkyard match. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have been pushed off TV if like Finley wasn't on a surgeon's table around now. <laughs> a bunch of other people were just creased. I think it's around about now that they start kind of going with the Rednecks as more of a face act. They start leaning into yeah. the fact that the WCW fans are obviously country music fans. Yeah. Next match... Um, oh, by the way, the camera completely missed Duncan not knocking out Grunge with the cowbell yes, he did, yeah. at the end of the match. Um, next match is Mona versus Little Genie. I was just like, where the hell 
are they digging up these opponents from on the Indies? Like, it's so clear. Like, they had planned this long Mona Medusa program. And now Medusa's hurt. And they have no idea what to do. Because they don't have a women's division. Mm-hmm. Was, it Jer- so they- was it Jerry Flynn's music that little, little genie came out to? Oh, it might have been, yeah. Well, this is Jeannie's first WCW match. She wrestles three more times all against Mona. for WCW. All of them are in 1999. All of them are house shows. And all of them are against Mona. But unlike the usual model of you do the house show match first to build to doing a solid match on TV, they did the TV match first and then do a bunch of house show matches. Makes sense. This is also one of only two matches really on this show where you can accuse actual wrestling of happening. <laughs> like Mona, uh, this is why like I guess she was so ahead of her time for a generation. Like she's still green as grass. But she actually tries to wrestle in her she matches. She does, yeah. And it's not what people necessarily... Like, I, I was like, no, do you know what? I'm, I'm actually going to be fairer to the 1999 crowds than most people are. Like, usual the way 1999 crowds treat women is you know something for the dads kind of stuff and you're i was about to say because it's definitely much the case in in wwf that they don't want to see women actually wrestle Mm -hmm. except china who they only want to see wrestle men that said we have now watched two wrestling matches that mona has had and the crowds are into it yeah they were now, like, not into it on the level, like, I'm not saying that she's, like, you know, put the strap on her or, you know, anything like that. But, like, they, they're surprisingly into they gave it a chance having, doing actual wrestles. And, yes, they gave it a chance, which just goes to show, like, you can't, you can't tell me with a straight face. Because a lot of these bookers from the time, like the Russos and stuff like that, the world. Oh, like, nobody cared. Oh, uh, they didn't want to see these skirts wrestle yeah. and stuff like that. It's because you... And people like you never gave them a shot. Mm-hmm. Now, they wouldn't have been, again, Mona was, like, way ahead. Like, there's maybe only, I'm thinking between both companies, like, Ivory could hold a match together. We're still a couple of years away from Lita in, well, a year or so away Jackie. from Lita in WWF. Jackie could hold a half-decent match together, and that's about it. But, again, if you had been serious about women earlier than this who knows a lot a lot of them could have been a lot better in wwf none of them ever got better because none of them ever had proper matches got proper reps were trained properly yeah they were trained just enough to not hurt themselves and even then that wasn't fully successful we just said about the the timing of matches went up significantly in 2000 for the men's but like up until god like the mid 2000s the women were getting literally three minutes it was you know, people famously talk about that Trish and Lita main event on Raw. But that was also the that was the first time they'd main evented Raw. It was also the fucking last time women main evented Raw time. for a decade plus after. Um so like I'm not giving them their flowers for giving like a tokenistic and whatever about now where you could say there wasn't a lot of top, top tier women's talent, but like uh WWF burned through an era where they had people like Victoria jazz mm-hmm. under contract and we're still doing fucking gravy bowl matches most of the time with women and yeah it was 
I often wonder how, because I've seen a couple of the matches Trish has had on this run, like the 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 cage match and, and stuff like that. And I'm just like, as good as she was for her time, I really wonder how good she could have been if she came around now. That she managed to get as good as she did for the time she was in. If she if she was 21 now. Yeah, like she had no vets like, to work with. She just it was her Victoria and Molly like, basically raising each other up. And it and she was already in the ring like nearly 2 years when Victoria came in. Mhm. Do you know what I mean? Like Victoria, her big that hardcore match with Victoria is 2002 Survivor yeah. Series. You know what I mean? And she'd already been in the ring from like what mid 2000 she was starting to wrestle on yeah. like semi regularly. Yeah. And then was like regular through 2001, basically, but still doing brown panties matches most of the time. Um, Like, I often wonder, because of how quickly she took to wrestling, if she had a proper division around her and more than Fit Finley championing the, the women through to the give, back give, half give of give her give them run, time, yeah, give them a chance. Like, what, what was her ceiling? You know? You never and know. same with Molly. Same with Molly as well. Like, Molly... It, probably at the time even harder for her because like i guess there's at least more women in wwf who were having quote-unquote matches whereas like the division was two women in wcw at this time and one of them got hurt yeah um but anyway this match was like for somebody who'd never been on tv before versus somebody who's green it's pretty solid i thought it was fine i thought it was pretty good match like, and Mona Mona won with an Indian Deathlock pin. Yeah, really cool looking. Yeah. Um, and then Brandy Alexander ran in <clears> to try and get a sneak attack and gets laid out too. It's like it's it really is like God. What oh, I wish they. It's had a what could have been situation. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, Hogan Nash video package. And then speaking of what could have been, a Nick Hogan cameo is not what I was expecting on. My Nitro. It's it's not often that Hulk Hogan is the least problematic Hogan on the show. Not only that, but it was Nick Hogan in an Ash Ketchum uh, cap. Oh, was it? Okay, I didn't even notice. Yes, is the very, the iconic Ash Ketchum hat. Uh, he says, and this was, you want to talk about interesting camera work? This moment was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Where, like, you don't get the way they did this, where, like, they follow Nick into the dressing room and he says, Dad, you're late for an interview. And then it follows with no, like, music or anything like that. It follows Hogan kind of getting up. He was doing press-ups. He gets his belt. He gets, he runs out, runs down a corridor, and he's waiting at the curtain. It's weird that there was two curtain shots. And the one night. On shows that were going on at the same mm-hmm. time. So as he's waiting in this incredibly dark, like, clearly because you would see that it was actually the curtain to the side of the stage. So they obviously didn't want to show Gorilla. Uh, here so they filmed it like slightly further down so it's incredibly dark this shot and um, the oh yeah so, sorry one of the things for context for later is like oh Nick says you're not even wearing the gear I brought you and uh, Hogan opens the bag and sees that the red and yellow tights are in there and he thinks about it for a second yeah I wish they hadn't done that to you. I wish yeah, they had yeah. to just left that at Nick going, oh, you're not wearing the stuff I packed, which is what he says. And just left it at that and Hogan going, oh, I haven't got time right now. I'll come back in a minute. I know this is an inopportune time to bring it up, but the, the Nick Hogan thing and the gear has just reminded me. Did you watch Dynamite last night? I did. And MJF doing the Brett Mean Joe Green bit with the kid 
five stars. Oh, uh, phenomenal. <laughs> as soon as that shot opened, I was there by myself. Like, I was Leo DiCaprio, you yeah. know, that the, the meme yeah. of him. Oh, <laughs> I'm adopted. It's such a great swerve. Yeah, That's it, the kind of comedy MJF does that doesn't drive me crazy. Yeah. The fucking going to the ball pit and assassinating children. It, this mid-card comedy shtick, I don't like. But that, great shit. Mm-hmm. Great shit. The, just the whole thing. That that That's MJF. <clears throat> and then, yeah, the, the, the footsteps. Oh, it's brilliant. Uh, so he gets sneak attacked from the shadows by Nash, Rick, and Sid. They drag him out through the entrance ray. Roll him in the ring. Hogan and Sting out to stop the jackknife. The crowd goes absolutely... Oh, sorry, not Hogan, sorry. Uh, Goldberg and Sting. They fucking uh, sprint him. Yes. Out to stop the jackknife. The crowd goes fucking mental, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, Hogan said he's sick of those three. Something that WCW keeps doing is they can't figure out ways into Stips, so they just fucking do it, abandoning all logic. So completely unprompted... He's the champion. The match is already made. It's not like he needs to put something on the line to convince Nash to accept. He just goes, fuck it. I'll put my career on the line. Yeah, they're they're just, they're so fucking bad at this shit. (laughs) Yeah. And he goes, um, that's what I wrote. He put his, he put his career on, on the line for a title and a match that he already has. Yeah. Um, but he goes, what about a six man tonight? So Nash accepts. Sting says, if I if we win tonight, Nash has to put his career on the line at Road Wild. I was like, but he's no reason to. Now he's in a position where he can win the title and take Hogan's career because Hogan's offered up and he doesn't have to put anything on the table. Mm-hmm. He's minted. Um, Goldberg says that Steiner has nothing to put on the line, so he better bring his ass to Sturgis. Uh, and I laughed because I was like, he, you have nothing to put on the line. Rick Steiner is the television champion. That's <laughs> like clearly. Yeah, that's it. Goldberg is just like, ah, I don't, don't want that. Don't want that. Fair enough, I guess. Uh, Nash, again, completely unprompted. No reason to do it, but he accepts the career step. Hogan says Sting and Goldberg will make sure there's no interference. He's calling them his best friends. Yes. Like fucking you talk about like, uh, what is it they keep calling Jericho? The people on Twitter. Oh, the clout vampire. There has never been a bigger cloud vampire than Hogan. Oh, hang on. Are people shitting on Jericho again? Oh, no, no, not oh, recently. Okay. Just in general. Like, that's the thing people level at him. Um, although, extremely funny that he just fucking beat Sammy Guevara last night. Oh, come here. Did, so good. Did you he not see... Did... job. He gets beaten like a drum in all of his feuds. He's like, no, I'm not putting that cunt over. Did you not think... I'm, I'm sure you had the same thoughts as I did. As soon as Excalibur... Poor Takeshita. No. <laughs> that was my main thought. As soon as Excalibur brought up the WrestleMania 19 gear for Sammy, I knew where it was going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, ha- you had to see it coming. Um, it's funny because, like, I, it, you would have preferred they do, like, the actual WrestleMania 19 stuff that was cool, which was Jericho and Sean mimicking each other's yeah. moves throughout the match. But, like, Jericho can't well, physically they, do they tried anything that do Sammy that does, really. Night. Yes. Sammy did the yeah. goal breaker. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing, is like he beat uh he beat Sammy with his tertiary finisher as well. Uh-huh. Not the not the walls, not the Judas effect. Fuck a code breaker, which is a transition move nowadays. Uh funny stuff. Anyway. Um 
Nash accepts. Uh, there'll be no interference, uh, which guarantees interference, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, hot angle, but good goddamn, was all that very badly thought out. Everybody was pumped. Everybody, I think, on the on the microphone, they delivered what they had to deliver very well, but on a level of planning out how to get to the steps, just not there. Yeah, there was there was better ways to get to the the career versus career title match, but anyway, it is what it is. We're on to our yeah. next title match. Yes, uh, and this is gormless idiot David Flair depend, defending his United States Heavyweight Title against Chris Benoit. They start this match by replaying the entire segment that we just saw half an hour ago play out backstage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't often bring this up, but good lord, Tori Wilson. She was, yeah, she was, she was doing quite well this evening. Jesus Christ, uh, I loved Bobby Heenan's bit of talking about that. Yeah, let's just say it was a great hat. Huh? Tori, Tori Wilson was very important for a very young Dave. <laughs> yeah. In terms of, hey, maybe girls aren't gross and covered in cooties. Maybe they're pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of pretty cool, we get Nick Patrick coming out. <laughs> yeah, what a what I think cool. Of course you think I Nick think. Patrick. Uh, anyway, um... Can I just say, but like Nick Patrick does come out, but right before that, during his entrance, David Flair, I don't think he's ever looked worse in terms of looking like he's about to cry, which he frequently does, but also actively looking blotchy. Yeah, what the fuck was up with that? It's like he got the poison ivy. Like, did did Billy Gunn rub his arse on David Flair's face? I can't Jesus confirm nor Christ. deny. I, yeah, there was, there was something going on with like his general cheek area. He looked very like <laughs> you could say that about should we call that is that the common thread between both shows? There was something going on in his general cheek area. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going back to fucking Chaggy Tulo up again, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, it was very strange. Anyway, uh, Nick Patrick comes out and kicks Little Nate out of the ring because obviously Ric Flair is no longer in power. He does not get to decide who referees David's matches. Yeah, I, I get that they did this bit to do the live reaction uh, to him being kicked out, but at the same time as well, like if this was if this was a shoot, brother, um, I, I'm assuming Charles Robinson would be fired day one of the Sting regime. Yes. <laughs> like, but anyway, um. Flair tries to bail straight away, but the revolution come down like na na na. Welcome back, bring him out. And I think it's at that point. I I think the crowd don't fully buy into it until that. I think they assume because of what they've had for like the last few months that look, David's gonna find a way to to weasel out of this, or there's going to be loads of interference, and we're not gonna get what he wanted. But there was that like as soon as they bring him back in, they're like. Oh, he's actually going to get a fucking hide in here. I, I actually it was at that point I, I really noticed I loved Flair's look because he has that. I'm going to get my ass kicked here, and there's literally nothing I can do about it. Yeah, yeah, that resign to defeat yeah. thing. Um, they are hot to see the beatdown. Flair flops out and is surrounded like a, it's a lumberjack match, mm-hmm. so he knows he has to get back in. Benoit fucking levels this cunt with a chop. 
and then a snap suplex that nearly snapped him clean in half. Yeah, I think like the whole sequence of moves is like one chop, which knocks him down. Snap suplex, backbreaker. And then Tony starts talking about how he's an embarrassment to wrestling. And like it's he's an embarrassing not, what, wrong. what's happened to the US title. Yeah. Um, What are we at next? So he starts paintbrushing him, beats him some more. The triad try to interfere, but they can't get there. Diving headbutt and a new champion. And again, I suppose a mirror to what happens on Raw. We have a title change, but because angles have to happen, we can't drink it in really. Um, So Paige tries to attack. He gets run off. Uh, then Benoit challenges Paige to a no DQ match for the belt at Road Wild. That should be good, right? Should be good. I mean, those two were having bangers like when they were in the Raven verse mm-hmm. at the start of our, our podcast run. Uh, we then get a full replay of the Benoit win and another Nitro Girls segment. Um, I would like you to run us through Mean Gene talking to Macho Man, please. Um. I don't know. We we saw this on Thunder. <laughs> uh, he brings up Macho. It's actually it's somehow an even less good version of what we got on Thunder. Yeah. Because he doesn't actually deliver on any of the things he's no. going to say he'll talk about. He talked about more of the stuff that he was going to reveal on Nitro on Thunder previously. Um, yeah, Mean Gene is like flabbergasted that Gorgeous George isn't winning again. Uh, Macho says, no, won't have Gorgeous George until after he gets rid of Rodman. Um. So Gene brings up, you know, oh, you said you were going to talk about your four things, and uh, Macho then runs through. You said Nash brushed off one shoulder, Sid brushed off the other. Uh, who was a Hogan and Rodman? He brushes off his his dick genitals. Yeah. Yes, um, no, his dick. Yeah, his dick. Okay. Um, his schlong, if you will. At this point, Gene is doing his best to keep this interview on track, but it's not working. Uh, the the promo just kind of ends, and we don't actually find out who one the bodyguard is. Yeah. Two, who the bodyguard is that's got that was also the Hummer driver. Yeah. Uh, three, why Sid and Nash are friends. Yeah. And what was the fourth one? Fuck me if I know. Like I, the only apparent surprise that he delivers on here is he's going to beat up Dennis Rodman. Yeah, it wasn't a good segment. No, it was very bad. Uh, tag team match as uh, the British Empire, Chris Adams and Dave Taylor, uh, take on Ed... The British Empire uh, or the British? The the British Empire. Okay. Um, take on Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. Uh, Rey Mysterio in his Department of Corrections jumpsuit to hide his enormous knee pads, even though... Um, Several. This is the first time where several times during this match I've noticed him adjust said knee pads. Yeah, he's he's still trying to hide the fact that he has no knees at this point. Yeah, um, which is funny considering Dom would then do the prison gimmick. Indeed. Um, what did you think of Butlin's act, Dave Taylor and Chris Adams here? I enjoyed Just, it. Ah, uh, uh, bloody hate America. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. <laughs> See this flag? It's the best flag. <laughs> Fuck me. Uh, look, look, we popped for fucking Charlie Sterling, so yeah, we can't shit on it too much. Uh, crowd is absolutely great um, during this. 
uh, they really wanted Ray straight away, and then when he did call in, they huge pop. Adams hits a power slam and a backdrop. He misses a diving thing. Uh, Ray hits a springboard moonsault. Uh, he does. So Ray does a baseball slide, gets up, runs back at Chris Adams, who kicks his head into the third row with a super kick. Awesome super kick. Sounded great as well. It's a fantastic super kick. Uh, Ray rolls out, gets choked with the f- uh, choked with the flag by terrific evil Brit Dave Taylor. Uh, huge stomps and claps for the hot tag. This was like a raucous cheer for a hot tag. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets cut off. Taylor goes to whip him into the corner. Ray takes out Adams, then Taylor. Hot tag to Eddie. Faces go crazy. Eddie does a pop-up. He pops up Ray into a dropkick on Taylor, which looked great. Hits the, the Bronco Buster on Adams. Uh, top rope Frankensteiner into a frog splash for the win. Uh, I love their, like, basically their version of power and glory. Yeah. And I, uh, I love Eddie went fucking three quarters of the way across the ring. Did that did. frog splash. Great. Um, then the Deadpool come out to attack the faces and then Kidman comes in to even the odds. Good guys clear the ring. Uh, we double dip with Kidman because he's out for the next match. It's Kidman versus the Disco Inferno. Uh, bog standard opening couple of minutes. They're trying to get over the thing that Disco is being weirdly serious during this. Yes. Um, this is the thing they're trying to get over and serious is code for fucking boring. <laughs> he does a nice pile driver. That's all I'll give him. He does a nice pile driver. Uh, Disco does the Wolfpack poses and does the Hall point at some point. I just wrote, have some self-respect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the heat segment was long and bad. They do, twice they do the bit where he throws Kidman outside and then throws them into the rails. It goes for fucking ages. Just as Kidman's finally about to win, the Deadpool return again. Uh, in a really cool bit, Vampiro hits the Vampiro spike off the middle rope. That looked deadly. Um, Disco tries to stop them he gets laid out as well so we get the tease of Disco joining up with Kidman and the boys really like weird some sort of group of filthy animals or something yeah and no, I was really weird the way Disco put his hand out and then walked away on them yeah yeah uh, I don't think anybody like it, it was done in a way where it was like they'd teased it loads of times before but the crowd were just like what? It's Disco. What the fuck would you? Yeah. yeah. Especially because he'd worked so intently as a heel during this match and, like, was battering Kidman. Yeah, it's not like, like, it, like. It makes no sense that he'd entertain the handshake. It's not like. Or that they'd offer it. Yeah, it's not like they started the match with a handshake between Kidman and Disco and there was, like, mutual yeah. respect there. It's like they were doing the fucking Blackpool Combat Club with Ricky Starks thing the other week where it's like, you know, you, you fought really violently and really, we're really impressed. You bled with us so now you can join us. It's fucking weird. Uh, more speculation about the main event. Uh, a, a weird stash from Tony saying that two of Hogan's six world title reigns in WCW came in Sturgis. Um, we get a full replay of the career steps being put on the line for no reason. Uh, we then get Buff Bagwell versus No Music's Scott Norton. Um, apparently Buff is going to show the cat at Sturgis that he's buff and also that he is the stuff uh, a man in the crowd roared the word stuff along with him which made me laugh um, I wrote this is already a walking pace Scott Norton match mm-hmm. um, Buff did a thing I've almost never seen a wrestler do fuck up a dragon he does, yes 
he did a dragon screw the wrong way around. Yes. How do you not, like, I am not, I have not stepped between the ropes once in my life. And I instinctively know the way you roll on a dragon screw. Yep. How? Because he's buffed back. How baby. does this happen? Yeah. Um. It, awkward bump. Norton hits a shoulder breaker that looked ghastly to take. Cat <laughs> uh, comes out, with, takes fucking 10 minutes to put on his shoes on the ramp. What? One would wonder why he didn't just come out wearing yeah, them. Yeah, why was he not wearing them backstage? Uh, Bagwell starts to fight back. The cat... Uh, I, I don't know why I wrote this. Cat doesn't improve. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming he doesn't improve the match by his... Uh... Oh, he doesn't approve of it. Oh, That's okay. what it was. So he comes down. Buff does a really... Oh, yeah. So Norton goes to do a running headbutt. And Buff dodges it by, like grabbing his head in midair and trying to like pass him away. It was very strange. Like he clearly was supposed to dodge out of the way and wasn't fast enough and panicked. Buff goes for a cover. Cat pulls the ref out. Ono skulls Buff with the briefcase, but he kicks out at two. Cat and Sonny in the ring. Um, Norton lays out Cat with a clothesline. Buff does a blockbuster uh, and ref calls the bell. Uh, he does the he does it on Ono, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. Um, Norton stalks Cat up the ramp, and Sonny is dead uh, in the ring. Uh, Shit. Shite. Yeah, it was really yeah. bad. Uh, Nitro Girls number three, and then we go straight into Canyon versus uh, Booker T. Uh, Canyon accompanied by the Triad, Booker accompanied by Stevie in a fabulous get-up. Uh, we get the usual Triad promo, which I'm already kind of getting bored of. Um, it's unfortunate, but yeah. He says, Ben, well, better keep the belt warm. Then they go into Harlem Heat's mama is so dumb. I did kind of get a little bit of a dad joke chuckle at she's so dumb she puts M&M's in alphabetical order. <laughs> it's not funny. Did you uh, Did you see somebody, it's from one of the WWE documentaries, somebody clipped uh, Mox telling dad jokes? No. And it was him hanging out like in the arena when people are kind of working on shit during the day and it's him Renee Rollins and Roman and he goes yeah buddy of mine got a new job and it's uh, taking photographs of uh, salmon dressed up in different outfits it's like shooting fish in apparel (laughs) (laughs) and I was in work when I (laughs) that's good listening to this and I was wheezing (laughs) at my desk (laughs) <laughs> and uh, you can the thing is you can hear it in his voice good, yeah. it's good when I deliver it but it's not as good as yeah the yeah. Mox voice delivering it uh, anyway uh, Triad sent away from ringside um, Booker firmly in control until Canyon stops a whip and hits a fisherman's neck breaker which looked cool uh, his advantage doesn't last long sidekick spine buster a uh, couple of clotheslines but ref gets pulled in the way of the second one the Triad obviously went ahead of their queue because by the time the ref is bubbed, the triad are almost already in the ring. Uh, They throw the belt to Canyon while distracting Stevie. He hits Booker from behind with it. Uh, Booker eats a flatliner. Canyon wins. Oh, shit. Please. Uh, It wasn't good. Wasn't good. These guys are capable of much more. It was a match to serve an angle. Um... I'm going to do the dirty on you twice with Mean Gene segments, and I'm going to get you to describe 
an even worse promo he does. Uh, it's Gene in the ring with Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will say Dennis Rodman seemed pretty sober. Yes. Which was a good thing. Lu- much more lucid than he usually was yeah. and much more than he definitely was uh, on AEW television. Yes. Uh, Rodman employs that Savage has gorgeous George locked away because she came after him, not because he went after her. Mm-hmm. Um, Gene asks Rodman a question to which Rodman re- replies by taking the microphone from Gene and he calls Macho an asshole mm-hmm. and he says that gorgeous George is going to know that she is his bitch. Mm-hmm. At which point Tony is like, Gene, you need to get that microphone back. Yeah. Because obviously we know that Tony, uh, Gene can hear the announcers in his ear. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wild for a, a Nitro interview. Um, it's after that that Macho comes out and it's quite hard to tell if he's shoot mad or working mad. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's the Randy Savage experience, isn't it? Like, Dillinger is legit trying to hold him back and struggling. So, I don't know. It's it's yeah. hard to tell with Macho. Yeah. Dillinger is legit trying to hold him back and struggling, but also Dillinger. Dillinger is terrible yeah. at his job. Yeah, look. <laughs> we're, we're well aware of that. That's been a thing since the 80s. Um, but, yeah, no... It, that was the most intriguing part of this, is whether uh, Macho will shoot Matt or not. We get our main event of the evening. Six-man tag team match. Uh, Nash, Steiner, Vicious, Goldberg, Hogan, Sting. Um, I love that they are trying so hard to make Hogan and Nash the focal point of this, because they're the main event of the pay-per-view. And no one gives a shit about them compared to Goldberg at the start of this. Now... I do couch that in. All these men come out. Hogan's last. An American maid starts playing. And as much as I will and do love to bash Hogan, people were into this. Oh, they were. And I thought Tony and Bobby did a great job selling that it was like, they were like, oh, wait, hang on. Did you hear that music? And Heenan's like, yeah, that's the old Hogan music. And they really sell like play it up. Um, the crowd were incredibly hot for for Hogan. Like I, they just were. Yeah. I mean, look, Hogan's a piece of shit, but yeah, they were into it. They were into the return to the red and yellow for the first time in three years. Yeah. Um. Now, I would like to ask you. Um. This was asked of us by Webcon in the Discord. Is the red and yellow nostalgia run? WCW's jumping the shark moment. Ooh. I've never thought of it as that. No, because so much worse because stuff happens. That's that's my kind of thing. Is like maybe, maybe in some ways, creatively, it signals a turning point where they acknowledge they're completely out of new ideas, and all that's left is nostalgia. They're throwing shit at the wall to get ratings on a Monday night. That that's a problem, yeah. but that's been a problem since mid ninety eight. Yeah, and like you said, there's so much stuff now from the next year and a half on that sticks much longer in the memory. I think the jumping the shark moment is Russo's hire. I I think that's the moment. That, like from the, the very start of that is the like irreversible decline. I think if you want to pinpoint one moment, yeah, 
it's the Goldberg heel turn. Yeah. Because I, I think people who maybe didn't watch it at the time, I think the habit might be for some people to say the Arquette title. No, win. it's not. The horse had already bolted by then. Mm-hmm. Um, it was long gone. Can we, since we've talked about Goldberg, Sting comes out to open for after the first baby face out. And they play the Sting Crow team because mm-hmm. they don't have the rights to Seek or Destroy. Or Seek and Destroy. Goldberg then comes out. Yeah. And Dave, you know where I'm going with this. I do. This fucking company <laughs> left in. And which company do you mean now? Be specific. Fucking WWE and their yeah. shit fucking archivists went through the whole fucking run of Nitro and pulled out all the licensed music apparently. Yeah. Except when they didn't. So yeah. they what's brilliant is they've so far by my tracking of the shows we've watched, I don't know the nitros we didn't watch. Three times. But what they've pulled out, the main times they pulled this out was his debut with the music oh. and the actual mega death performance. Yeah. And almost every time since they've left it it's in. It's lived true, yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. if they had just left it in for the return, I could live with it. Yeah. But just, and it would almost make sense that that's the one they left. Yeah. Is the most important one. So they're obviously paying Megadeth for this to be on the network. Or no one knows. I would totally believe that at this point, especially with how bad the network is right now. Uh, I just... Like, Alan a- Alan Forel was tweeting about during the week that he finally cancelled I, I saw because that, Because yeah. it's just yeah. so hard to find anything. And I've noticed now at the point, right, I don't know if you have, at this point in 1999, all the episode descriptions are completely wrong. Oh, they're so bad. Yeah. Like, if we didn't know the dates and stuff, we'd be lost. Yeah, cage... You The only way to use the WWE Network now is if you also have cage match open. If you're trying to actually find anything. Um, yeah. Anyway, this match was also pretty bad. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have much here. I thought that the pop, like, the fucking ovation... Is the only way I can describe it for the tag to Goldberg. <clears throat> like the crowd yeah. are like we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They still had a chance here with Goldberg at this point. Mm-hmm. And Sting. I did like they legit still had had opportunities to turn things around with these two. Mm-hmm. The Yeah. And it's just again, they're trying the Hogan thing so hard. And they're telling you they want Goldberg. They're screaming that they want Goldberg. Like, you did the return of the red and yellow, like you said, for the first time in three years since Bash at the Beach 96. And even in spite of that and the huge reaction it gets in the moment, as soon as the bell rings, they want Goldberg more. And they cannot see the forest for the trees. It's right there. They just cannot or will not get out of their own way. They cannot understand that if Goldberg, if the, if this company is hot and they turn it around, that yes, Hogan, you may not have the title for five minutes, but you will still make more money. The, the, yeah, the company will still be there for you to bleed dry. Yeah. And it's yeah. just, yeah. I will say the worst ref bump you will ever see in your life is in this match. <laughs> Well, a couple of horrible bumps. There's a bit where 
Sid mistimes his jump up onto the turnbuckle and because he mistimes it he eats a shoot kick in the dick yeah well less said about Sid coming off turnbuckles uh, yeah true apparently I saw a tweet this week I've yet to confirm it but I really hope it's the case by the time we they've get edited, to it they've uh, edited yeah. the leg break off the network no, not that it's off the network but he went to a different show ah yeah, I uh, I'm very happy yeah, because uh, I've seen that maybe twice in my life. And I have no need enough. to ever watch it again. Yeah, and I will not. I got to tell people that right now. When we get to it, even if it's there in full glory on the network, as soon as he goes to the top rope, I'm, I'm fast forwarding. Yeah, yeah, I'm turning. Yes, away. it's not happening. There's and it, I'm not like that with every wrestling injury. Like I can handle some wrestling injuries. That one is morbid and makes me feel sick mm-hmm. I mean look the fucking the Darius Martin one or Dante Martin one that happened on pay-per-view oh god yeah and Ray Phoenix as well where you literally see his arm yeah. snapped yeah it's like yeah, it, that yeah. shit isn't fun like it's yeah. just not yeah um yeah I mean Nash is unconscious because Hogan hit him with a chair he gets put in the deadlock he's unconscious and the ref calls it for the baby face. I will say best Hogan chair shot you'll ever see. Yes. Um, I don't have much else to say about it. it. I didn't care for it. It was an incredibly hot match in terms of crowd reaction. Um, So it served that purpose and it got them where they needed to go in terms of now both careers will be on the line. Um, But it was a bad match. Just a bad match. I will say after reviewing the show, the show wasn't that good. I thought the crowd brought the show up so much. Yeah, and I think the same is of the same is true of Raw as well. Mm. Raw was a better show, absolutely was. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the crowd elevated both of these shows past what they actually were in terms of quality. Um, you're very right. Um, so do you want to do winners and losers for the whole night then? Okay, winners and losers for the whole night. Winners: uh, Chris Jericho, Triple H. Bill Goldberg. I'll give him Hulk Hogan. Um, I thought those four had great nights. Mm-hmm. Um, losers. Do, do, do. Let's see. Let me have a look. Who looked bad on these shows? Uh, I don't know. I'm looking, I'm looking through my notes. Nobody sticks out on the W. WWF side. Um, maybe, maybe Raven. Big Show. Big well, Big Show gets shit on by everybody. Yeah, that's that's probably a good yeah. one. Um, yeah, probably Big Show. And I mean, do you want to say David Flair for obviously getting like a, some kind of beating on national TV? Yeah, he's not US champ anymore, so I feel like let's let's stick the boots in um, uh, for a little while. Now, I don't want people who didn't watch the shows back in the day to misunderstand me. This isn't the end of David no, Flair, not. not by a long shot. Now, he will get much more tolerable at a point for a while yes, next he year because he, he, he gets into a trio with a much more capable wrestler and a much more over valet. <laughs> Uh, so actually, I have him as the third wheel in a little faction is fine, I, I guess. I have one more Macho. I thought Macho had a really bad night. Yeah, yeah, it was a horrible promo on the Thunder, and he somehow soared beneath that bar. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who, like, and you know how much again, how much I love Macho, but yeah, no, he hasn't been good the yeah. last two episodes. 
Yeah, and we we talk about how there was a long time where he was one of the only people still projecting himself like an absolute megastar. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is no longer the case now. He's missing more than he's hitting. Um, and again, we've seen him wrestle a couple of times now since he's been back for the injury, and he's also he's washed. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. He's gone. Right, that was an exhaustive <laughs> nights of nitro. I uh, I am blown up. And I'll be relieved to retreat in the sweet release of uh, a regular Thunder in two weeks. Thank you so much for sticking out, people. Um, If you want to hear our dulcet tones before our next free episode next week, you need look no further than uh, a large man appears.com. I was going to say patreon.com forward slash WCW Thunderpod if you want. Yes, where we've been doing some some kick-ass shows lately, I feel like. Lee, what uh, what just went up last week on Patreon, and and um, what have we got coming up next? Last week was the conclusion of our deep dive into the world of WMAC Masters. We finished season one. We were left on a cliffhanger. If you haven't listened, check out the show. Um, I don't think anywhere else you will ever get a full review of a season of WMAC Masters, but we do it better than anybody else. Mm. Um, and, and, and the 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 only person who maybe does it better than us we'll in be a different show. medium yeah. will be on our show as uh, Christopher Landis will join us next month. The author of Quest for the Dragon Star will be joining us for our post-season one wrap-up and interview special. Um, and then this coming week, we are doing our last TRL of the current bunch, I believe. Yes, a uh, friend of the show, Nathan, yes. has uh, requested a very, it's the most niche thing we've ever covered on the show, um, whereas uh, a movie that I don't think really traveled much further than the Australia, New Zealand region, uh, the movie, Her- the TV movie, I believe, Hercules Returns from 1993. Um, I have no idea what to expect from this um it is the blindest i've been flying into something since maybe wmac masters um but also um we are going to get back next month uh once we've done we've got solo audio coming as well this month but um next month is going to go back to some bread and butter now that the trls are finished so we're going to go back to two of our favorite series to do um, in October, we will be doing a rehash of the champions, which Lee has not returned to that show in many, many months. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will be good to get you back on there, buddy. And then we are also going to do a classic Days of Thunder at the movies. Um, I have a couple of ideas for for themes floating around. So you will need to be a member in the next couple of weeks to vote on what film is going to be selected for at the movies. So that's another little enticing thing for you. Uh, we really appreciate uh, all our Patreons. Um, it's It's been incredible, the support we get on that. And also don't forget, October is, of course, our Ketoween. So we will have the third installment. Yes, Scream 3, our annual tradition of reviewing a Scream movie every Halloween until we run out of Scream movies. Um, at this point, there's nearly enough screen movies to last us the rest of the run of the podcast. I think if there's if, when the next screen movie comes out, I think there will now be enough to get us through the whole run of what we've got left. Um, so yes, our Ketoween will be dropping on on Halloween night. 
but yeah, anyway, uh, we'll see you behind the paywall in a week. Uh, back here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network in two weeks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder was produced by Lee Malone and edited by me, Dave Ryan. Keep up to date with the show and find all the ways to listen to us. You can follow us on Twitter at WCW Thunderpod or click the Linktree link in our Twitter bio or in the show notes. I am at the Day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Days of Thunder is a part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Follow the VOW network anywhere good podcasts are sold for more fine podcasts than you can shake a stick at. Thanks. Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks.